1: It's time to turn off the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve in the world of horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrifying flicks. If you made a horror movie on your phone, or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you take the ghetto, more incest, and two kids trying to survive? Why, you get the people under the stairs. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. And this week I can't believe that we have a running theme that I didn't expect to happen, or that I didn't remember that was going to happen. Um <laughs> it's I seriously did not pick two movies that involved incest. Literally was, oh, people underground, oh, the people under the stairs, that'll totally work. Oh shit. Uh, I wonder what next movie is going to be. It's going to be some other incestuous bullshit, isn't it? It's going to turn out that way. It's not meant to be like that, but that's where it's going to go. One moment it's going to be, oh my god, yeah, and then it's going to be like, but we're brother and sister. And I'm going to have to like turn around and like say to everybody, hey, I swapped the movie because I didn't want to do Instest for the uh, you know third time in a row. But nonetheless, here we are, People Under the Stairs. So this is one of those movies where I really wanted to come and talk about it. Uh, it's just been some time. I really haven't had the, not necessarily the time, but I really haven't like figured out the place that I thought I would fit the movie in at some point in time. But here we are. I was just like, hey... The last one, it has some, it has some similarities. <laughs> Again, another I totally forgot about. Um, but why not? Let's just go ahead and let's just throw it in. Plus, we're nearing the end of season five. Can you believe there's only going to be two other episodes after this, and then we're going to start season six? Like that sounds really crazy to me that I've been doing it for that fucking long, and that some of you've been listening for that fucking long. And I thank everybody that has been listening. From the very beginning of the show. Um, but I'll do that more towards the you know start of season 6. Um, but nonetheless, this is a movie from my childhood that I really was like, I don't know about it. And I remember seeing the, the ads on TV for it. And I really didn't know who Wes Craven was and why it was such a big deal. You know, I knew... Freddy Krueger was right I knew the character I understand it I've seen it my cousins and my uncle were well they were a lot bigger into Halloween but these types of movies they were much much bigger into and my cousins especially a lot younger than me and into those types of flicks but I always thought it was kind of interesting and maybe I should see it and then one day a really good friend childhood friend of mine he literally came over and he's like we should watch The People Under the Stairs. And I was like, why? He's like, because it's my favorite movie. It's your favorite movie? Yeah, it's my favorite movie. And I remember watching it. And it's a good introduction for those that are okay with their kids seeing a little bit of gore, but there's not a whole lot, like, That's the one thing that I'll kind of say maybe right off the bat before even the final review is that it's a good introduction horror movie, I would say, for somebody. Like, if you want to do one for the kids, it really, it's rated R for terror and violence, but I don't know that there's a lot of either in it other than a couple of, like, there's a couple of gory shots, but you really don't have, like... The gore that maybe I was expecting the movie to have. I would even say at this time, like, I was expecting the horror movie to be nothing really but gore, right? It was released at a time, and I probably saw it maybe two years after it was released. So, you know, I was an early teen, which is weird because then I could connect with the main character in this movie. But... Honestly, it was really odd to kind of be in that situation where I knew that horror movies were there. And horror movies, to me, were always just, oh, this is going to be a ton of gore. Like, that's what I thought horror movies were. And I didn't really realize that some of the movies I had seen were kind of horror movies that didn't necessarily have that gore and I had really loved them. Now, this is not to say that this wasn't like a, you know, a Toxic Avenger type of situation where it was like, oh, I saw it and there's a lot of random things on it, but that was on TV. This was one of those ones where, you know, when somebody says, oh yeah, that's the guy that made... Freddy Krueger I was expecting it to be super violent in fact until I saw the Nightmare on Elm Street films I thought that they were going to be super ultra violent too and while they can be I don't think they're as violent as some of the other horror I've seen much later on especially movies even like Event Horizon where I feel like that got super gory Like, even for the time that it came out, and supposedly, again, like, you know, we kind of talked about, it was supposed to be even gorier than it actually was. So I don't know if this is necessarily one of those movies, but I don't believe that it is, and I think it's fine if you want to introduce people to horror, or you want to introduce, say, kids into horror. And I would say kids around the age of the main character would be okay, um, because... Honestly, it's not violence for violence' sake in this movie. It's not like you're watching somebody get their arm chopped off or their head decapitated or anything like the sort of that. It's more like, here's violent imagery, right? So the gore is really something that you see, not necessarily something that you witness. I hope that makes sense because you're witnessing all of it, I guess, and you do see it whether or not you do it, but it's not like, hey... Here's a guy, he's walking down a hallway, here comes the machete, and boop, his head is off. And, you know, you're done with it, but it does make a nice sound for Dave's old pop culture podcast. It's just, you know, it's there to shock you. And you can get past that. And I think that even for me at a young age, and seeing it without my parents' knowledge, really... Um, it really didn't do anything to me. I was like, ew, that's disgusting, but it didn't give me nightmares. Though, of course, you know, being a young teenager, maybe I was able to just fucking suck it up and be a, you know, man or whatever, <laughs> however you want to put it. But it was something that I remember seeing with him and really just enjoying the movie very thoroughly. Like, it was just something that was fun. It was the, I think the fact of the matter... For at least me at that age, and, and I kind of scoffed at it for a second, but in all honesty, it's kind of the truth is that at that age, I could connect to that character, the character of Fu, right? And my sister connecting to the character of Alice, but not in all the ways, but just that the fact that we can connect in age. But it was more like, I think, for me, and especially for my friend, you know, who is an African American, and was at the same age as the main character in this movie, you know, I think that's where he really connected with it. That, hey, you know, and he didn't come from, like, you know, the ghetto. I am very fortunate to not come from a terrible area. We actually both grew up in the same exact area. Like, he was literally, like, three or four blocks from where I live. And surprisingly enough, I live about three blocks from where I grew up. Uh, it's just really weird, to be honest with you. So, it's not like we had to face a lot of things. But, again, it's very rare, even in horror, to have an African-American protagonist. And especially somebody that's that young in age. So, of course, I expected him... Well, I would expect him now... Uh, if going back in my time machine, stealing a line from the back in time guys, but going back and like thinking about it with him, I think that, yeah, you would, it would be like, um, and it's not a horror movie or anything for me, but like, I would feel that if I'd seen Coco at a very young age that I would have connected with the main characters of the film a ton because... They're like me. You know, there is something that does need to be said about that in some way, shape, or form. But really, because of, you know, the things that people, you know, they experience or they know about or they see on the big screen, it really does make a big deal to a lot of people, whether you kind of think so or not. Um, And I'm not really here to judge anybody on any of that stuff. But in my personal opinion, you know, when you see somebody that is like you, you Tend to attract and attach yourself a lot more to the character, and it makes me think that that's why he did it. And honestly, <laughs> there are other reasons why too. You know, they, they were both super short, and <laughs> they, they probably connected over that too. <laughs> <laughs> we always had a running joke growing up because a friend of ours he had a dream about this guy, um, and he would always say, and then you know, and he was five foot three, and five foot three like to us at that time who I think all of us and this is us being like 13 12 11 somewhere around that age um you know we were saying 5 foot 3 but holding our arms out about half the height that we were and we were all about 4 foot something maybe maybe 5 foot <laughs> and I always joke about it I'm sorry that that's such a visual gag for me but um yeah it's just <laughs> it tickles me right in the funny bone so Let's talk a little bit about The People Under the Stairs, really before we kind of get into everything going here. So, Craven thought of the story for this movie based upon an article that he had read, or a news story that he had read, that happened in Los Angeles in the 1970s. And supposedly two burglars, they broke into a house, and they discovered two children had been locked away by their parents. And the film was kind of built around that as well. And he always felt that it was kind of like a satirical depiction of gentrification, class warfare, and capitalism in our society. So, uh, the film itself, though, it took the number one spot at the box office when it debuted, and it made over $5.5 million that weekend. Itself, it only had a budget of $6 million, and it actually stayed within the top ten until December after it was released. And this was in 91. And so, for the price that he made the film at, he actually made a worldwide total of $31 million dollars. Uh, which is pretty damn good for this movie. Nobody really felt like this movie was going to be a hit. It itself is kind of mediocre when it comes to critical reception. Some praised it. Some said that it was lazy. Some said that Wes Craven had really lost his touch. And funny enough, there has was talk about a reboot. When they did The Last House on the Left, when they remade that movie, they were talking about Well, Craven was talking about redoing the people under the stairs and then unfortunately he did pass later on and this was around 2000 i want to say 12 13 somewhere around that time it could be different could be misremembering what i read this morning on wikipedia Uh, but, you know, as of 2015, at least last when they talked about this, uh, they were talking about bringing it to sci-fi to be an actual series rather than it being a whole new thing, right? Like a whole new movie instead, we get that. And since then, we really haven't heard anything else about the people under the stairs. So it's an interesting film to think about in the place and time that it exists because this was really before... The whole scream resurgence of Wes Craven and kind of like getting him back into being into the limelight. And at the same time, this is the weird transition between 80s horror and 90s horror. Where you have these 90s films that kind of are trying to feel like prime 1980s horror. And then you have the leap into the more teen slashers. Almost like we're going back into the 50s. Right, and maybe the '60s with the horror movies that we're trying to see that are trying to focus around a certain generation of people. So we went away from horror for everyone, which I really do feel like '80s horror is. It still is, you know, teenager centric because they're the ones that are probably going to see, or young adult, or you know, people in their mid twenties, maybe thirties, somewhere around there. To really focusing on the PG-13 movie and getting the teenagers, specifically the middle, like. ...aged teenagers. I don't know why I said that like fucking John Travolta right there. Like I'm introducing Del Dazim or some bullshit. The middle. Uh, but the, the middle group of teenagers is really what I was trying to fucking say. Jesus fucking Christ. You guys get to have a blooper in this goddamn episode. Just stay in the goddamn episode. But nonetheless... That's kind of what I felt about the 90s and a lot of 90s horror. But it really didn't kind of start until we get into, like, 93, maybe 94, even 95, or as late as 95. And then it literally is the rest of the fucking 90s with some really terrible, like, slasher, teenage slasher movies where we're staying away from the fucking R rating, but we're going to put enough, you know, butts in the seats to make these movies worth the money that they are. So... And it kind of, again, carries into the 2000s, and then at the end of it, I think it kind of corrects itself, or at least the indie scene. But that's a whole nother, like, episode, and that's more of an episode, I think, for another podcast than my podcast. But really, like I said, with this one, we're kind of in that transition period. It still gets an R rating, but honestly... If I took this nowadays, I'd probably say this is a PG-13. I don't think it deserves the R that it gets. And it really only gets it, I think, for a couple of things. I think it's more for language, right? And especially since what Fool says towards the end of the movie, after basically being cleaned for the whole time. And then you have what, uh, you know, the words that are spoken by our two antagonists in the film, man and woman, Um, which I think, if I read correctly, it was like the Robesons, The Robisons, that's what they were, but they don't actually have names. They're just described as man and woman, and then Alice, who I guess you can kind of put in, like... If you think about it and think about the movie, like an Alice in Wonderland type of situation for what she's stuck in, but she doesn't really have like, there's no wonderful adventure of her to get away from the situation. And I'm thinking more of like the American McGee Alice, uh, if you ever played any of those games, rather than just the Alice in Wonderlands that you, you know, probably grew up with uh, <laughs> that are disney uh, Except for that really fucking creepy one that was on TV with the Jabberwocky that scared the shit out of me, but that's for another occasion, Uh, i think that episode is going to be done with the return to oz episode and the fucking wheelers i hate those fucking things still scare the living shit out of me and the fucking gnome king okay but that's again that's for another fucking episode but nonetheless why don't we just fucking start before i start rattling off all the things that fucking scared me as a kid uh but you know like i said. Most of the main characters in this film, or at least the antagonists that we have, they have no names. Uh, And we're just going to kind of refer to them as however the fuck I want to refer to them for the rest of the movie. But let's start right where it begins, right during the beginning credits. And we learn about how Fu got his nickname. And we can learn a little bit about, you know, his future in the movie.
2: Swords and staves. Tough road you got this year. Judgment, death, and Mr. Devil. (laughs) Glad it's your birthday reading and not mine. Now here's your card, fool. See? That's where I got your nickname. Don't remind me. Here you go, 13 today, the golden-haired birthday boy is setting off on life's big adventure. I ain't no golden-haired nobody. Now I'm going off to a seventh grade. Well, you the fool and you can't escape that. That ain't bad. No? No, ain't the stupid kind of fool. Only the ignorant kind, because he's just starting out. That's better, I guess. Oh, but look here. Already he's got a problem, see? One step in front, the drop-off. what about the dog? That's fool's companion. See his spirit barking? Oh, don't go marching over that cliff now. Do the smart thing, the high thing. So what fool gonna do if he ain't gonna go off the cliff? Fly? He gonna do what he have to, fool. Turn around, walk the other way. Right through the fire of the sun. He get burned up if he do that. Just the boy part get burned up. rest come
1: out the other side of
2: man. And no one calls him fool again.
1: So it's... Actually, a really good setup to the film. And it's a little cheesy, yeah, in the way that it's done. And in the fact that it's like, you know, her kind of exactly telling him where he's going to experience. And kind of where we're going to lead. That, hey, even though he's turning 13, then he's going to be faced with something that's relatively tough and hard. And and honestly, he... Really does. I mean, I don't want to just be like, okay, end of the movie, we're done. And next time we're going to be watching, you know, (laughs) it it, it really is kind of a, a really good portent for the rest of the movie. Um, it's done a little cheesy and stuff like that, and the the person that plays his sister is okay. You know, they do grow up in a terrible project, uh, wherever nondescript city that this is. I'm assuming that it's going to be Los Angeles. I know this was filmed entirely on the Universal lot, so I'm just gonna say it's trying to represent a part of LA, and it's part of the LA ghetto scene that's down there. Or, or that really was down there and that was prevalent in the 80s and early 90s. Uh, you know, it's not like saying that it went away. It's just a, a lot of that ghetto area, kind of in the way that this movie like puts itself, has become gentrified. And, you know, the areas that used to be really terrible to go into are all of a sudden really nice and hip. Uh, you know, it's like some areas of Oakland that are all of a sudden like, when I grew up, you never want to be caught on that fucking street ever you don't even want to step foot in oakland that's you know my dad grew up there whenever you know since he was a little kid uh and he we were going to be living there for the longest time and he said nope he nope the fuck out of there and (laughs) ended up us over here where we are in the bay area um and it's uh you know in some of those areas that you go through it's it looks better than it used to, but I always remember my dad saying, no, you don't want to go there, and you don't want to do that, and you don't want to be there. And it's kind of what has happened to, you know, areas that are depicted in this film. But I digress. So, like I said, they're just kind of out there. And I really love, uh, and I know I'm kind of interrupting myself here and kind of rambling a little bit, but I really love the actor that plays Fu. I I absolutely love him in this film. I think that... I don't think really he's done any other movies past this. But this is a really good performance for what it is. Like, I didn't expect much out of it. And hey, you know what? You still get a lot out of him. So... You see that the mom, uh, who I thought was the grandma at first. Really, I thought this was like a son-daughter relationship. Or son-mother. (laughs) Son-daughter. The incest starts here. No. (laughs) It starts in a bit. Um, But I really thought that this was a son-mom relationship. Then to find out that it's actually his sister, who's much older and who has kids. uh, But the mom, something is wrong with the mom. And I thought that was the grandma because of the way everything was set up. He gets pushed out. And then, you know, he goes and sits over in the corner, and that's where we get to see Ving Rames for the very first time as Leroy, and he gives a proposition to Foo.
2: Who are you?
3: Leroy, friend of Ruby's. You the little brother she called Foo?
2: <sighs> Real name's Poindexter, but be hung up on them tarot cards. Well, why, Mama, crying?
3: Y'all been evicted. You gotta be out tomorrow midnight. I guess Ruby didn't see that one in the cards. But why? You're three days late with your payment. Fine printing the lease says you gotta pay triple else get out. when well, your mom and Ruby ain't got triple.
2: Well, don't the landlord know that and mama's sick or Ruby got babies? Yeah,
3: sure. He knows. He don't care. He wants to tear down the building. Y'all the last family in it. You got some money you can kick in. I know a way you can earn some. You gain.
1: So not only does Ving Rames here have the meats, but he also has the proposition for foo, and we're going to have to learn what it is. And this is kind of the start of that whole tarot reading that his sister gave him towards the beginning of the movie, right? So he's going to be faced with some type of conundrum or some type of problem, and he's going to have to figure out which way he's going to go. Is he going to blindly just fall off the fucking cliff? and go with what needs to be done or is he going to face it and eventually turn into the man that he needs to be which is something his mama does say to him a little later on in the film and so from here we jump over and we're actually looking at the antagonist of the film and we get a little intro to the uh the crazy white folks of the movie
0: one last family in the lennox avenue building then it's clear to tear down we build a nice, neat condominium. We get clean people in there. Lots of nice wood for my fireplace. Lots of nice... Money. And money. And mm-hmm. to me. Mama, what happens to the
2: people when you make them leave their homes?
0: I don't believe I was speaking to you. Speak when spoken to. That's what good girls do. You getting them out soon?
4: By tomorrow, midnight. that Damn, buckshot!
1: So the man—he's <laughs> played by Everett McGill, who's been in such films as *Quest for Fire*. He was a caveman in that one. Uh, *Dune* from 1984, *Silver Bullet* from 1985, *Heartbreak Ridge*, *License to Kill*, *The People Under the Stairs* of course, and *Under Siege 2: Dark Territory*. Whereas the woman, she's played, or they're also known as Mommy and Daddy. They kind of also call themselves that. Well, I would say woman calls him Daddy more than he calls her Mommy. But I guess maybe it's both kind of the same. But she's played by Wendy Robbie. And Wendy Robbie has been in such things as Twin Peaks, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, The People on the Stairs, Vampire in Brooklyn from West Craven as well. Uh, and she honestly is probably the show stealer of this film in general. I kind of like her the best, and that's just because she really reminds me of Mommy Dearest. If you've never seen that film before, I highly suggest that you do see it. But the way that she's playing the character is almost like spot on that that's if if I were to she would tell me that that's where I got my inspiration from. I'd be like, yeah, of course, duh. Anybody that fucking see this movie would know that that's exactly what you're trying to do. And if she would tell me that, hey, I've never seen that before. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'd be like, you bullshit fucking liar. You knew what you were doing. Stop being a fucking liar and just admit to it. You're fucking stealing from that movie. That's where you got your inspiration from for fucking mommy, woman, or whatever the fuck you want to call this, redheaded bitches. But nonetheless, so we get a little bit of look into them and the way the family works. You know, you even have the daughter, Alice. She's kind of serving everybody. And when she's like, she mentions something about like, what about the family? It's like, did anybody speak to you? Like when they're talking about the money. So you know that there's two different weird dichotomies of families that are going on in kind of showcasing what Alice is kind of going through versus what Fool is kind of going through. Where Foo, he has, and I guess, I really just want to say Foo all the time rather than Fool. Um, So you're going to hear me say Foo, even though his name is Fool. You know, because what are we going to do? We're going to go fight Foo's, right? Okay, that's what we're going to do. We're going to get Dave Grohl. We're going to go get in the fucking van. We're going to get Mr. T. And then we're going to go fucking Foo fighting. That's what we're going to fucking do. But nonetheless, he like he has freedom of choice of what he wants to do, right? But he doesn't have a great environment to live in, where she has the great environment to live in, this wonderful fucking house that is, I don't know how fucking big this house is, and we'll talk about that a little later, but she has no fucking freedom. She's under the rule and under the thumb of her two parents, who are healthy people, but are terrible people. He has all the freedom that he needs to do to do this job that we're going to hear about in just a second, but at the same time, his mother's dying, his sister has to do stuff out on the street, and she's got a ton of babies, and they can't afford to pay the rent in a slum that they're the only tenants left in this whole slum. So, of course... You know what he's really he truly has choice but he honestly has no choice at all
3: our seven three is already dead and then there's you baby turning tricks on the strip Willie's a crack addict and uh what's the other one's name what's he in jail for washington
2: so. and he didn't do nothing
3: he tried to put food on the damn table and that's what i'm trying to teach the boy to do
2: He wants to be a doctor.
3: You can't even afford to pay rent. How the hell are you going to afford to send him to medical school?
2: ain't right anyway.
3: Oh, that right. You know your mama got a cancer in her she can't afford to have taken out? Leroy! Yeah, the thing any doctor could take out just like that. But (laughs) you ain't got no money. And you ain't going to have no money unless Ah! you... Ah! You little snob! Don't touch me. Don't touch me. You listen up, you little punk. Listen up. Now this is the big one, and somebody deserved to be robbed. Somebody who don't care nothing about families or about the neighborhood. He just wanna bring the wrecking ball in so he can line his pockets.
2: Who are you talking about?
3: The landlord, that's it. The landlord of
2: this building?
3: Yeah. I found a treasure map last night in the back room of the liquor store me and Spencer hit. A letter addressed to the owner along with the name of his company. So? So the name of the company is the same as the name on your eviction notice. Same guy who owns the liquor store, owns this building, and half the building's in the ghetto. I know where your landlord lives.
2: No. Leave him alone. I heard things about him. Bad things.
3: You heard about the gold? This Is from the company that wants to buy the coins the landlord collected.
2: Gold coins. You want to be stupid, Leroy? You don't need fool for that.
3: We got a plan for him, baby. Foolproof. Or you want your family eating beans out in the street.
1: Now, I think that Ving Rhames has been spending a little bit too much time on top of Meat Mountain to really realize what this plan is going to entail. You've got to convince Fu and her sister, and I get it. He says, do you want to be doing this anymore? And, like, the fact that people got arrested because they're just trying to put money on the fucking table so they can put food in their fucking mouths and fucking survive instead of, you know, her having to be on the street because of her kids, you know. And he even says that... <laughs> he scoffs at the fact that she says that Fu wants to be a doctor, and he's like, you can't afford to do that. The only thing that he's going to be able to afford to do is be a fucking like uh, street thug and go and rob somebody so that they get the money so they can fucking survive. Because in three days, and it's really weird that his birthday is three days past the first of the month, and most of it just takes place on his first day of his 13th birthday. But nonetheless, he, like, they only had three days to come up with the rent, and then it tripled. It didn't double, it tripled. And honestly, this is kind of one of those weird things where... You know, we think about it in terms of the way the movie works, but in the real world, this probably couldn't happen, and the fact of the matter is that they wouldn't have to be out on the next day because there's kids, and Fu is actually right on this one, because at least if this is taking place in the state of California, it is nearly impossible to fucking evict somebody if they got fucking kids. Right, And I understand maybe that's a little more nowadays than it was back then. But even back then, people have a fucking soft spot for kids. And if they're unable to pay within the certain time frame that it is, they might be like, okay, well, you're going to have to do that. Or we're going to evict you and it's going to at least be 30 days. And then you're going to have to get the fuck out of there. But pretty much sure that, you know, something's going to have to happen for them to basically get them out of there on the day after the rent is fucking due. So basically, kind of like what I was saying before we started the clip, Fu has the resemblance of free will, right? He has the ability to make the choices, but in all honesty, he really doesn't have any type of choice. Because if he doesn't do this with Leroy, he's going to have to go and find a place to live the babies you know that his sister has who gives a fuck about them they're on the fucking street and the thing is is that this whole building is filled to the brim with fucking people there are a ton of fucking people in this building as he's walking around it and as he's going back upstairs to hear what's going on with you know leroy's proposition for him But they're the only paying fucking people that there is. See, you would think that they would just, you know, want to make sure that their building's okay. But no, they don't give a shit because they're going to tear everything down. And honestly, if somebody came to me and was like, hey, you know what? Your landlord has these fucking rare fucking gold coins. They're fucking you over with everything. You need to go in there and you need to steal the gold coins. I'd be like, "Eh, maybe I don't want to do it because, you know... I don't want something to happen to me. If these guys have these rare gold coins, what makes you think they don't have anything fucking protecting them? So, especially when we kind of heard a little bit about them before, and maybe because we get to have this omniscient pr- presence and learn about the, everything that's going on outside of things, especially when you learn a little more of that, you know, there's two different types of parents in this movie that's going on, especially with the mom who, when he goes over and his mom is like dying, he basically says that my favorite line in the movie where he tells his mom that he wants to buy her four sets of Mercedes and put them on her feet so that she can skate around. Um, and then she basically tells him that, look, you're going to have to grow to be the man because you're the man in the house. And he's like, I'm trying. And she's like, you know, basically saying, I know you can do it. And that kind of forces his hand to take the job with Leroy. So after we kind of get that little bit of a heartfelt scene there with between him and his mom we flip back over to the crazy people and we get a different style of parenting right away.
0: Hope this fits. I worked all day. Turn around. Stand still. Do you love your mother? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. What?
2: Yes, ma'am. I love you, mother. Good girl.
0: Where's your fork? Fork? I gave you a fork with this. Where is your fork?
2: Well, it must have fallen. Somewhere on the floor, maybe.
0: You don't know? No, I'm sure it's on the floor. I I mean, I know I dropped it. You know the punishment for losing silverware. I'm sure it's right here. I know it was there.
4: Some niggas robbed the store. Again?
0: May they burn in hell.
4: Very tense from this.
0: You have one of your headaches?
4: Ooh. Very, very tense about this.
0: Alice has been bad. She's been feeding that thing between the walls again. Oh. Remember not to bruise her face.
1: So it's a very weird scene, and I kind of understand what they're doing and what Craven is trying to portray here, especially the two different lifestyles again, that she has basically everything that she needs her mom you know and dad provide for her she's got this great house, but really she's treated like a doll in her own house. Her mom makes her own clothes in a style that she thinks that she's going to like. And when she's brushing her hair, she's basically just kind of pulling at it as hard as she fucking can while she's doing it up in this really... It truly is like... I don't want to be like doll-like style, but it really does feel extremely just like a fucking doll. Like you can look at it and you're just like, wow, if I thought about doll hair, I would think her hair right away so Alice is kind of getting just treated as an object rather than you know a person and you can see it by the way the room is decorated it's decorated very dollhouse like and there's even a sign up on top of the wall and it says children should be seen not heard and again it's one of those themes that you kind of see throughout the whole movie of hear no evil speak no evil you know see no evil and How it relates to them, their religiousness, and the way that they're bringing up Alice and the other kids that are in this fucking house. And we get to see one for a second. We get to see Roach for a very close second. But we only see his hand, right? And we see it come out. His nails are atrocious. The guy needs a fucking manicure like there's no fucking tomorrow. I don't even want to think about what his feet are. But if you really wanted to, he has, like, goblin nails. So he probably could dig into the neck of both the parents pretty well. And then the father, the whole thing there of, oh, do you have a headache, daddy? And he's like, yeah, I don't It's coming on strong. And the guy is like a mixture of fucking Slingblade and Jim Carrey in the way that this movie moves. It's so weird. A little more Jim Carrey than Slingblade since, you know, Slingblade didn't exist uh, until much, much later. And So it's just, it's really crazy that he's just like, oh yeah, I need to get rid of this headache. What is the only thing that can do it? Uh, no, not Excedrin. I've seen those commercials fucking everywhere, but it's not going to work. No, I won't take any Tylenol. Oh, I could go masturbate. No, I'm not. I, no, that's not going to do it. Uh You know, because that's a sin and you don't masturbate, even though I wear fucking daddy leather all over the place in this fucking house no, no, I know, beat the loving shit out of this girl. That's going to get the headache out of my head. And basically that's what he does because she's been coherting with the people inside of the walls. It's all just kind of weirdly crazy. But at the same time, you know, again, we're trying to show the difference between the life that Fu is forced to live and the life that she is forced to live because, you know it it doesn't matter that things are bad no matter how you have it right and you're just kind of stuck with the people that you're born with so the next day we see that you know Leroy and Fu and their friend Spencer uh well accomplice Spencer I guess I should say they're all out there and they're scouting the neighborhood where you know she basically is or where <laughs> the, the the landlords basically are and they finally come upon the house so they have a way basically to get inside and they want to use food to go and do a little bit of scouting so he goes over there dressed as a boy scout and basically they're trying to get him into the house but woman she's having none of it and then Spencer he's having none of the fact that he couldn't get in the fucking house
2: may I help you good afternoon man Sorry to bother you, but I'd just like to show you some of these delicious cookies we're selling.
0: I'm sorry. We watch what we eat very carefully here.
2: I know it's a bother, but so is cerebral palsy. And if we don't do I'm all we can... sorry. Well, do you have, like, a bathroom I could use? They leave us out here all day without no, anywhere sorry. to take a leak in. No, sorry. Sorry. Run along. That's all right. No,
0: run along. That's okay.
4: Heavy wire screens on the back windows. <laughs> They've
3: been hit before you think? Uh, probably just the neighborhood. Lot of screens held on.
2: Padlocks on the outside. Padlocks on the outside?
5: Jeez, what else? The alarms?
2: That I don't know. She wouldn't let me in.
5: I told you to tell her you had a piss.
2: She wasn't buying that. I'm
5: going to take a look.
3: Don't be stupid, Spencer. The kid told us all it was to see. Go you know, on Sunday as we plan.
5: What if they got a remote alarm to the police? I'm not going in Sunday without them
3: checking out the security. Just look at the doors, the basement, maybe the connector boxes. Now, how the hell are you going to get in there? She wouldn't even let him up on the porch. Well,
4: you sent a boy to do a man's job.
1: That's what you get. Yeah, okay, Spencer, believe that. Believe that you're going to get away with everything that you're going to do. And he does say the way that he's going to get in, he's going to dress like the gas man, which honestly is not a bad plan, especially in a neighborhood in the special way that we know they're acting and the way they feel towards the African-American community, considering that they freely throw the N-word around like it's nobody's fucking business. So... You have them go up to the house and then, you know, he's looking around and trying to and eventually she does pop out for a second and when she asks why he's there and he starts approaching the door, she immediately slinks back into the house and then speaking through a weird portcullis in the center of the fucking door. It's really weird that one of the windows just opens up. And she's like the fucking main guard for the Wizard of Oz's fucking Emerald City, you know, sitting right there. Opens up, and her mustache fucking pops out the fucking window. What do you want here? You want to see the wizard? <laughs> no, but she's more like, you know, um, yeah, okay. You want to see the you want to see the gas of the gauge? You already saw the one that's down the way, and he's like. No, of course not, you know, that's not what, we already saw that one. There's one inside your house you don't know of. And then he goes to show his ID when she asks him for ID, and, and, I'm sorry, she goes, Can I see your ID? You know, but, this is the dumbest fucking impression I've ever fucking done. Uh, But, she sees, oh look, he's got a fucking skull ring on his finger. Like, why wouldn't you remove that shit? To be honest with you, like, If you're going to go and you're going to try to scare somebody and you're going to try to be a little professional, and I get it, maybe not nowadays in the 2020s, 2000, late 2010s, nobody would give a shit if you were completely covered in fucking tattoos and you were working a job like this, you were doing a service job, you would just think like, huh. That guy's got tattoos and you would move forward. But if you're a paranoid motherfucker like she is, and she sees one little thing that's going to make her believe that you're not who you say you are, then she looks and she sees the fucking weird, fiery fucking skull ring on your finger, you think you would take that fucking shit off. You would try to be as like nice-looking as possible. I also did not grow up in L.A. in the 90s. So, I don't know. Maybe that was a big thing before, but even around here, like, if anybody came to any type of place around here in a suburban type area not dressed somewhat normal people be like what the fuck is up with that guy what the hell's going on huh huh yeah I don't trust that guy and of course she doesn't trust the guy and she invites him inside then we fade over and we see that you know Leroy and Foo they're still sitting in the car and they're basically wondering right like, what's taking Spencer so long and of course Leroy he thinks that Spencer is trying to fuck him over an emergency you need to check your meter
0: passed it on your way up the drive
3: oh that one we've already got there's one inside the house that I need to check
0: there's none in the house I'm quite sure of that
3: probably not even aware of it ma'am but it's on the master list here and I'm gonna have to check it see the situation is we got a leak on the block and it could be very dangerous
0: identification
3: fact is we do have the legal right to come in even if we do have to call the police not that we ever have
0: It's just there have been an awful lot of robberies lately. Neighborhood's changing. Has us all a bit on edge.
4: I completely understand.
3: Better this little bother than a chance of danger, though, right?
2: I don't know how he got past that woman. She's got x-ray eyeballs.
3: Spencer's as slippery as a snake. I think he's up to something.
2: Something like what?
3: Like grabbing that coin collection for himself and cutting me out.
2: Cutting us out. Spencer messed with you. He got to deal with me, too.
3: (laughs) You something, fool. She leave him alone in the place? You got to be kidding.
2: It has to be someone else in there. Old folks' kids or something.
3: Maybe Spencer should stick his ugly head out and give us some kind of a signal.
2: Maybe looking around a little bit. Make
3: sure it's safe. Maybe the president is going to make me secretary of pussy. Now, he's probably in there hiding the best for himself. Come on, we go on in. No, Spencer said
2: we got to stay out here, Leroy.
3: So he can get all the good shit for himself? Why not throw your mom out in the street along with Ruby and the kids?
1: So I had to look it up and figure out whether or not Leroy could have actually been the secretary of pussy. And according to the record books, that cabinet position wasn't available until 1993 when Bill Clinton took office. Now, I know what you're saying. He probably was already the secretary of pussy when he was in office, but because he was the president, he wasn't able to do so. So he named Emilio Estevez as the secretary of pussy. So there's no way that Leroy could have even held the position at that time. What was he thinking? George Bush Sr. would have never had that type of office. He would have had the, you know, I don't know, the Secretary of, uh you know, invading oil fields or some shit like that. I don't know what the fuck he would have had, but definitely not Secretary Pussy, but that line is fucking ridiculous. Uh And the fact that Leroy is also so, like, paranoid automatically about the whole thing. Oh, he's gonna fuck us. Oh, he's gonna get, he's gonna make sure he goes and takes the money, like... Come on, dude, and he's like, he's gonna be cutting me out, and here he is trying to use fucking, you know, foo over here, who steps in and he's like, You mean us? And he's like, Yeah, kid, yeah. And the more you know, the less he's gonna fuck you. Um <laughs> Yeah, I just don't I don't get it. Like he's really trying to like pander to him, even though that they're just basically trying to use the poor kid to get intel in the house, and they probably would have went in there, robbed the place, and not given him shit. And honestly, again, he convinces him to join him in the whole thing of going over there and now checking out what's going on with Spencer because, hey, if you don't want your cut of the money and you want your ass to be kicked out, your mama to die, and Ruby to be fucking out on the street with her babies, fucking other guys for money, you're going to come with fucking me right now. Because inside that place, they got the best fucking curly fries in the world, man. They have the fucking meats, And they've also got the fish sandwiches that you want, too. Man, they're going to make sure that you get everything, You get that whole fucking pile of meat piled up high with that smoky cheddar cheese sauce that everybody loves so much. And when did this fucking become an Arby's commercial? I guess since Ving Rhames is in it. But nonetheless, they're going to go ahead and break into the house now. So they do go over there. And, you know, Fu, he's having his reservations. He's just like, look, I really don't think that we should. I don't think that, you know, they may be back soon. Why don't we just go and, and, you know, of course, Leroy, he just makes sure that he knows that, no, that Spencer is going to fuck us. He's going to take the money for himself. And we need to make sure that we get in there before he does anything. And why would they leave? I mean, Foo really has it right here, right? Like, why would they just leave and leave him inside the house? Like, well, maybe they really thought he was the gas man. And it's okay to just leave the gas man inside the house. Like, we could just have it there. Everything's going to be fine. Go ahead. When I've got all this stuff inside the house and everything else. Like, come on, dude. You know exactly what's going on. Something is not right. And you want to go in there, and you want to try to do whatever it is that you need to do. So they eventually break into the window. Well, I should say not they, but Leroy eventually smashes the window and gets inside the first door. They get to the next door, and that's where they kind of look around, and they bust in. And then they have a surprise that's waiting for them as they get through the second door.
5: what? Listen,
2: Leroy. Just breaking and in might not be so smart. I mean, it's the first day of my 13th birthday. Could be unlucky.
3: 13th birthday is unlucky anyway. Too old to get tit. Too young to get ass. Fuck down the way. Lord, now look at this. The mother of all doors. He ain't
2: messing around.
3: Spencer, Spencer.
2: Uh, so Leroy, you think I got what it takes to be a doctor?
3: Doctor of burglary, maybe. <laughs> You're lucky I'm teaching you a trade, kid. Ain't no door stands up. To <laughs> I done busted this house, Cherry. It's open right up now.
1: So, yeah, he gets attacked by the dog that's behind the door, and he's just a little puppums. He's just a little cuddly, wuddly, he just wants a little blood in his mouth from the little guys breaking into the house. And I do love the line, too, that Leroy says before everything goes down, when he says, man, this is my 13th birthday, you know, I don't think this is very lucky to do this on the first day. And he's all, it's unlucky being 13. <laughs> you're, you're too old for tit, and you're too young for ass. And I had to sit there and think about that for a second, and I'm like... I think you're too old for tit about age three. So what, what tit were you suckling on until you were age 12? And maybe he means like the proverbial tit. Like the tit that you would get, like, you know, you're going to suckle at your mom's teat because she's going to be taking care of everything for you. And no longer, you're almost a man, so you should start taking care of yourself. But you're not old enough to go ahead and go fuck something, but you are, right? So I knew plenty of people... At age 13 and 14 that were fucking around because, and in fact, I think I'd even see my first porno before I was age 13. So, hey, come on, you're not that young to get your fucking, uh you know, game on at 13. Look at me talking on so old and hip and everything like, oh, people got mad game back there or some shit. Um, <laughs> But nonetheless, so the dog comes and attacks them. It's a Rottweiler, and it sucks because it has its tail all, like, short and clipped and everything like that. Or it could have been born that way. I don't fucking know. I don't fucking care. But I do know that they use a really, really fucking fake (laughs) fucking dog face. This is is the dumbest thing ever, honestly. Like, whenever they need to do some weird close-up shot of the dog, like, attacking, it's the most obvious fucking fake face that you have ever seen before. Like, if there is a stuffed animal that's been inside a random third-party... A uh, fucking carnival game that you're gonna win somewhere that looks kind of like a Rottweiler, but also looks kind of like a bear because they fucked up. That's exactly what you're gonna get for the dog that you see whenever there's a close-up of poor Prince. So Prince does go after both of them, more after Leroy than he does go after fucking Foo. Fu, and so Foo actually does call the dog over, does some acrobatics, gets it to go underneath him, and then they get the door closed and they jam the door. Uh, with a broom that they find inside of the room and that's when they begin looking around and realize that this place is awfully fucking weird
3: this place is weird
2: <clears throat>
3: every cabinet has a lock on it why do you think they do that somebody need a bath bad <laughs> Nice to see the rich folks get rats, too.
2: Listen, Leroy, let's just get out of here, out the front.
3: Let first we find out what's up with good old Spencer.
2: Man, the hell with Spencer. Let's just get out of here.
3: Hell with those gold coins, too, huh? Now, maybe you're too stupid for this kind of work, or maybe you're too chicken shit. Oh, there's that bastard now. He's upstairs.
1: Okay, so let me tell you here. He's 13 years old. He can afford, and he's allowed to be fucking chicken shit, okay? I was fucking chicken shit at 13 years old, and there was shit that I wouldn't fucking do because, you know what? I had at least something, like, some resemblance of, hey, you know what? This is not the best idea possible to be doing anything in this place, right? I should just leave everything the fuck alone, and we should just get the fuck out of there There was a time where there was this like abandoned school that was across from the place that I grew up, and my sister, a friend, and I all broke into the school because we wanted to see exactly what was in it, and later it became a retirement community, but we wanted to see what was in the classrooms before they tore the whole thing down, and the reason that my parents even bought the house that I grew up in was because the school was right across the fucking street, and it was an elementary school that happened to close the year that my sister was supposed to start kindergarten, so... We went over there, we broke into it, and at the time, even then, I thought, huh, this is probably not the smartest thing in the world, and we should just really get the fuck out of there. But I did manage to find a stuffed animal that I think may probably ended up getting thrown out when I left home, but I kept it for a really fucking long time, and even had the audacity when I got back home to go and throw it in the fucking washer and clean it to make sure that nobody knew where it was from. We also got a bunch of random books and shit from the classrooms that were just left there, Man, we stole a lot of shit from that fucking school, which is crazy. So maybe I didn't have the wherewithal. But what I'm trying to say is, Foo Foo had a lot of the wherewithal. To basically say, look, we should just get the fuck out of here. And Leroy really should have listened. But Leroy instead calls some chicken shit. And like fucking Marty McFly, Foo's like, I'm not fucking chicken. And I should really say more like a 13-year-old. And so they decide to search the whole fucking house, looking for stuff and trying to figure out where Spencer is. Leroy goes upstairs. And, you know, Foo, he takes the living room area. And eventually, after looking at everything and realizing that, man... These people, for all the money that they have, sure live in shit. Like, this house is run the fuck down, okay? They have, you know, locks on everything, bars on most of the stuff. And you could say that, you know, it was the neighborhood, kind of like Leroy was saying. But... Honestly, the furniture they have is super fucking old. Everything in the kitchen is fucking ridiculously old. The paint job is terribly bad. They have the area that used to be part of a funeral home because it used to be used as a funeral home. That stuff is all decrepit and falling apart. And it's like, if they have all this extra money, what the fuck are they doing with it? Like... What do you do? I understand that you think about it when you get into these situations, and boy, when I have all this money, and you could have all the money in the world, but what are you going to do if you can't use any of it? And why don't these people at least, if they have millions and millions and millions of dollars, and they just want more, just like Daddy is saying like he does then why not just fix up the place that you fucking live in? Why do you gotta live in all this, like, weirdly odd squalor? Like, the only rooms that are kept up nice are yours and Alice's, kind of, and the rest of the house is pure shit. It's weird, right? (laughs) Like, if you're looking around. So eventually, Fu makes it to the basement top of the stairs, and he goes down there and... He ends up seeing Spencer down there, who has been scared to death, literally. His hair has become white. He's laying over. Something freaks out Foo, and he tries to run upstairs, but the stairs completely turn into a slide, so it's super fun, happy slide time, and he goes down the stairs, and he's kind of locked inside of the basement for the time being. Uh, He's actually approached by Roach really, really quickly. But he ends up fighting him off and he tries to get Spencer as he sees there being like they're dragging him underneath. He he does notice there's a bunch of people that are locked behind a wall. And you kind of see this Dave Mustaine looking motherfucker staring at him. But you don't really get a good look at him. and, And that's really what freaks him out, right? Is that he sees the proverbial people under the stairs. And he tries to save Spencer from them. But they ultimately, he he pulls him away, but ultimately sees that his hand has been basically like chewed through, right? So you get a little bit of the gore there with that, but Spencer is obviously fucking dead. So he manages to get back upstairs, and he locks the whole room so that the people in there can escape after his little tussle with Roach. And so he goes upstairs to find Leroy to say, hey, we need to get the fuck out of here. And when he runs into Leroy, he sees him with his head inside of the, like, I guess it would be the central air conditioning system or, like, the central heating system. So I didn't see an AC unit, but I did see the big giant furnace downstairs, and even I thought at this point that Leroy was dead.
2: Leroy! Jesus! Yeah!
1: Scared the shit out of me.
2: I thought you were dead, Leroy! You were just laying there!
3: A man ain't dead just because he's laying on the floor. I was listening. Something's in there. As a matter of fact, why don't you crawl in there and see what it is?
2: You turkey brain, you hitting no on me and not come up here to save your ass? You're going to stick your dumb head in there and lose it just like Spencer.
3: What kind of shit you talking?
2: I'm talking we got to get out of here, Leroy. That x-ray lady's back. She's all back right now by the van. She got a man with her the size of Detroit. Damn.
3: You seen Spencer?
2: I seen Spencer all right.
3: You find anything?
1: Found him. He's dead, Leroy.
2: I think scared to death. You sure? He thought he was white before? He was just slate ass sucking now.
1: So, yeah, it's funny do when you do see Spencer down there because his hair is completely covered white and it's so fucking ridiculous. Like, it's. <laughs> why? Why do we need to have this in there? Like, it just. It's silly. It's not even, like, scary. And and the thing is, is that, uh, in all honesty, this is probably one of the least tense of Wes Craven's movie. Well, maybe except for a couple of exceptions like Vampire in Brooklyn. But it, it still has some really good tense moments. And I really do like the scene that they set up. Because you go from the silliness of... <laughs> Of the fact that he's got his hair completely turned white after he saw whatever he saw and he got scared to death. And then you go upstairs as we see Leroy just, he look like he's completely dead. And the silence and the walk up and the way that Fu is coming into the scene. Everything looks great, you know. And we realize that he's probably just munching on the meats that are inside of this place. Because it's fucking fantastic. That's, nope, nope, stop, stop. Don't even talk about Arby's anymore. And the delicious meats that they have there. But nonetheless, you you see him and it's like this really slow walk up. And you know there's this tension because you know that these people, they're going to show up anytime soon. And you don't know when that's going to happen. But you think that he's dead and all of a sudden, fuck, now Fu is left by himself and then boom, he's alive. Like that long shot is really well done and that walk up is well done. And it's kind of what I expect to come from Wes Craven at this time, even though this is kind of like one of his, like get back into the saddle type of movies and, and get into the, like the director fame, I guess you could say for the genre, like here is Wes Craven and you got to expect this from Wes Craven. And I've always loved the way that he does tension and it does it relatively well on a couple of these shots, but most of it is actually kind of silly. Um, so they finally get the the here the cars have shown up and they the people that were there noticed that because they left the van in the fucking driveway rather than parking the van somewhere else and just walking up to the house, oh no, we got to drive it up there and then just leave the fucking car there. We see the woman and the man, they come back and they notice that Prince their dog is inside the the little airy, you know, sunroom, I guess you could say what it is. Um and so they hear them coming They're like, okay, we need to get the fuck out of there. So they try to leave the front door to find out that the front door is basically uh, set up with an electric shock. So poor Foo gets shocked and thrown onto the floor. And so, of course, they got to figure out now how to get out of there because they're starting to pound on the door. And basically make a way for Prince to get in and to go after them. So Leroy has the great idea to say, hey... I'm going to hide behind this chair and foo you just stand out in the fucking open you just stand there and foo's like what the fuck is wrong with you it's like i'm going to fucking kill you if you don't fucking do it just listen to what i say basically he's trying to ambush the dog right he's basically going to set it up so the dog goes after him you know and then when the dog is about to get foo he's going to pound the dog in and then they're going to be able to leave But nope, when the dog does get into the room, he takes one look at Fu, who's just standing there, and he's just like, ah, yeah, I kind of like you. You're kind of nice. I'm not going to go after you. Everything's going to be fine. Wait a minute. Who's that behind the couch? (laughs) And then he's like, it's so silly the whole thing is and i have to think that some of it, it's kind of played for comedic offense some people kind of call this movie a horror comedy other people saying that it's more of a horror drama um that it's got it's you know little slow moments and, and things like that i kind of put it in the comedy point because something like this is relatively funny and is obviously done for comedic purpose like in the way that he looks at him and then he notices oh hey you That's right. I'm coming for you. I know you're behind the couch. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. And so he does go over and jump over the couch and go get him. And so he's busy attacking Leroy, and that's when, you know, it pops into Fu's head, and he's like, all right, come on. You know, he pulls him as he's pulling his leg, and then he grabs the door handle, which shocks both of them. Uh, Well, all three of them, I guess you could say. And leaves the dog incapacitated while he runs upstairs and tries to get away. And they're trying to find places to hide. And eventually, they do find, uh, you know, well, Leroy finds a closet. And Foo just hides around a corner. Again, it's weird. There's all these rooms and all these rooms are locked. Like this house on the outside looks like maybe, I'd say a three bedroom, maybe a four bedroom. But this place is huge. I don't know how many rooms, it's got like, what seems like three floors, and at least on this floor, there's at least five rooms on this side, and then when you go inside the damn walls, and you pop out the other side, there's like another five fucking rooms. So how many rooms are there in this fucking place? This place is huge, and they only use two? But I think that it's more like camera tricks that they're doing. That's like, oh, it's like you've come out of the walls and you're in another world. Almost like it's an Alice in Wonderland type thing. Like you're going through the looking glass and this is the reverse of that world. But it's not really reverse of anything, right? It just makes it feel like this is a much bigger house. And there's so much space in between the walls. Oh my god, but I don't want to get into that yet. I'm already going way ahead of myself. So eventually, while Leroy is hiding in a closet... Roach, who we haven't met yet, but we kind of met because he kind of went after, you know, Fu when he was underground, he tries to help Leroy. At this point, we think it's that he's trying to attack him because he's within the walls, but honestly, I think he's trying to grab him and take him into the walls at this point, and instead scares the shit out of him, he comes out of the closet... And then all of a sudden there's daddy with his gun cuz he was you know roaming the hallways at the same time he sees Leroy and Leroy says run foo and then he gets shot up and he falls down the stairs daddy dances saying that he got him they're all happy that they did and Leroy he looks down and he's like I can't believe they killed him and he's now foo's got to find some way to get out of there and so he goes back upstairs and he sees that there's like a little doll that's attached to a candle and then when he gets over to it, he sees the dog gets dragged away, so he grabs the candle and follows it. And then he follows it, basically, into the walls, and he manages to get through to the point that he gets to a bathroom, and that's where we meet Alice for the very first time. Well, not really, but I mean, we get to meet, meet her, and get a little bit about her, and also hear her talk for longer than just a couple of sentences. My,
2: my name is Fool. What's yours? Thomas. Don't be scared. You never seen a brother before? Never had a brother. No, I mean, a black dude. There's black folks in this neighborhood. Neighborhood? Our neighborhood. You know, outside. Well, that's outside, not in here. So you get outside, don't you? You saying never? can't get out no one ever has well well i'm gonna get out i'm a whole other thing people have tried you mean the people in the cellar Who are they? mommy and daddy looked a long time to find the perfect boy child but each one they found turned out bad Some saw things they weren't supposed to. Others heard too much. Others talked back. Daddy cut out the bad parts and put the boys in the cellar one by one. When they get flashlights and and food of some kind, I, I suppose they're happy in their own way. Yeah, right. What about you? How come they haven't put you in the cellar? I do not see or hear or speak evil.
1: It's the only way. So you get a kind of backstory a little bit on them and the whole dynamic that this family has, right? And the fact that Basically, the only reason that she's even fucking alive is the fact that she doesn't talk back to them. And she's basically seen and not heard. She follows the rules. And as long as she follows the rules, nothing bad will fucking happen to her at all. And she's really just a huge prisoner in this fucking house. But she also has a little bit probably of like a Stockholm Syndrome type thing. Because that's mommy and daddy. And you just don't mess with mommy and daddy. But she knows what has happened to the other boys in the place. The other thing that's going on here is that they're, you know, Prince, you can hear him in the background a little bit, kind of barking, and he's not really going through the halls just yet, but he is chewing down on fucking Spencer's hand. Like, they gave it to him in the living room, and he's just gnawing on it, and you can see that the ring has fallen onto the floor at one spot. And the fact that, you know... They're still going around the house and really not doing anything with Leroy's body after he's been shot and left at the bottom of the fucking stairs. All of a sudden they're interrupted by the fact that now daddy for some fucking reason is roaming the halls of the house with his fucking shotgun firing into the fucking walls because he's going after Roach who is one of the boys that escaped and is basically terrorizing daddy constantly by going through making noise and finding places to hide and daddy can't get him and yet he still tries to send prince after him to go and kill him every now and then and that's basically what he's doing he gets in his gimp suit and he roams the hallway randomly firing the shotgun everywhere and it leads me to believe that this house has to be enormous for nobody to hear any of the sounds like they soundproof this thing perfectly because i can just imagine living next door to somebody and them firing fucking shotgun rounds into their own fucking house and being like huh that's fucking normal that's okay you know what i'm not going to worry about this bullshit i'm just going to fucking sit back relax and count how many shots he did today okay let's hear 1 <laughs> 2 <laughs> three, <laughs> Oh, he only did three shots today. That's great. Wonderful. Like, come on. Really? Like, that's a little too unbelievable for me. Unless it's the only house in a lot or in an area where they've completely gotten rid of all the other houses that are around them. I don't fucking buy it. Somebody would have said something by this time. And the fact that even when the police show up in just a second, they're able to fucking get away with everything that they need to do. So... She basically tells him that, hey, you know, as they're running away, you know, oh, dad's coming, how do I escape? And she opens a hole into the wall and says that you need to go through this one. He's like, nah, I just can't do it because he hears Roach back there. And when he hears that and she tells him that, you know, sometimes the way out is the way in. Basically saying that the only way that you're going to be able to escape or at least get away from this is get inside the fucking walls. And so he totally rejects that. He tries to go out, but then the dad is, he's busy coming that way. And he decides that, oh, well, guess what? I guess I will go into the wall. But he can't do anymore because it's been closed off. And so he jumps into the tub and tries to hide himself. And as daddy is walking around everywhere, all of a sudden the police show up, which stops the search for him. And we see that Fu goes up to the window and he tries to basically pound on the glass Which actually isn't glass, it's more of like a plastic, because they tried earlier, when they tried to escape, before they grabbed the door, they couldn't actually get through the plexiglass that's used for the windows, because they don't want anybody to to escape from this fucking house. So, he's busy pounding away up there, and the police just can't help him, and just aren't any fucking help.
2: Hey, police! Police! Police!
0: Hello. What can I do for you, gentlemen? Afternoon, ma'am. Is this your van? Uh, Goodness, no. Uh, It was just standing here when we got back from shopping. Did you see anybody around when you pulled in? Trouble? Uh, Well, as a matter of fact, we did see a couple of men, one black, one white, walking away as we approached. We thought they were service people of some sort. You know they're working on your door, don't you? No harm done. Uh, We'll check the house just checked it even looked under the beds clean as a whistle well, let's recon the neighborhood there's still a chance you get a lot of this sort of thing it's as if we're the prisoners and the criminals roam free i don't know what you mean well you're lucky you're all
4: right this van was used in a liquor store robbery last night Oh goodness liquor store i'd advise you to stay inside keep your doors locked for a while
0: you can count on it hope you catch him
4: catch him in hell
0: oh my god what there's not just the two there's a boy
1: he's in there right now
0: with our little angel
1: Okay, so now you finally realize that there was another one because you see the outfit that he used to try to get in there for the first time where he used the excellent excuse of, I have to take a leak to try to get inside the house. She's already fucking wary of you. That's not going to work at all, and I'm surprised I skipped over that so earlier in the fucking podcast. But nonetheless, they realize that there is another guy, and so they go running into the house and running upstairs, trying to see if they can find him. They send Prince after him, and eventually he's able to get away thanks to Roach, because Roach takes him within the walls. Uh, Daddy is very upset that he's basically getting away, and that Roach is still there, so they put, you know prince into the walls to chase after them eventually they get kind of cornered into a little area where roach played excellently by sean whalen um this is probably the only role honestly that i remember him from but i know that he's done a bunch of stuff and like i said there's a very good interview if you want to listen to it with the fear merchant that's way back in his archives uh but it's uh he does a lot with not really doing anything because he can't fucking speak but the emotions that he plays, it's pretty well done. I really do like Roach as a character. And it sucks that he's not in it as much as I remember him being in the fucking movie. So they basically basically backing up. Roach, he grabs a, a doll and he throws it at the dog. And the dog just stops and he's like, huh? And then, like, it's fucking Home Alone or some bullshit right here. He pulls down a leather and there's the fucking trap where... Again, you have terrible dog noise. <coughs> You're like, <laughs> it's so funny like just do fucking scooby-doo man that's what it is that's all you're fucking doing it's so ridiculous and he slides down like he's one of the wet fucking bandits and then he pops out of the kitchen and then when he pops out of the kitchen that's where they figure out that hey he's with the girl because the damn dog has the fucking doll in his mouth Why do you need to throw the doll? Like, couldn't you have thrown something else? Or couldn't you have seen him come around the corner and as he's rushing, you could have hit it? Were you afraid that you are going to hurt the dog or kill the dog that's trying to kill you? I don't really fucking know why. It doesn't make any sense why you'd maybe throw the one piece of fucking evidence that you know that you're fucking there. Give it to the dog. So that way they can figure out where you are really, really fucking fast. And that's... Kind of what they do in the scene where, you know, Fu gets to formally introduce himself to Roach. And we get one of the more disgusting looking things, which is Roach without his tongue in the scene.
2: He doesn't talk much, does he? His tongue's cut out. Mommy caught him trying to call for help one day. and Daddy had to teach him to speak no evil, right? Father's one sick mother. You know that. Actually, your mother's one sick mother too. Shh. You're speaking evil. They'd kill you if they heard a word you just said. Roach. Roach is my friend. Roach? I'm a Poindexter. Really? Everybody calls me a fool.
1: Fool?
2: Mm-hmm. You sure got the names, huh? <laughs> This, Leroy? You did this? Why do you make these? To hold the souls of burglars when they died. Or salesmen, workmen, other people who saw too much.
1: And so, as she's explaining everything that's going on, Then the parents break into the room and start a whole ruckus. They basically trap poor fool and Roach, he tries to get away. and He does manage to get into the walls, but Daddy, he does manage to take the shotgun and blast a hole into the wall and he shoots poor uh, Roach. And we don't really know what the fate of him is until much later in the movie. And so, because now that they've caught Foo, they're going to use him to drag Leroy's body down into the basement, and he's going to make an example of him for Alice. Now, I've cut this clip that we were going to listen to. Basically, I only want you to listen to the whole Mommy Dearest type of parts and what's going on with Alice, because there's not a whole lot other than visual stuff that's going on with Foo at this point. And it also makes you to believe that these guys are probably fucking cannibals at the same time, and when they talk about the buckshot that they took out of the person in the beginning of the movie, that probably was something that they're feeding not only to themselves but they're also feeding to the people that live under the stairs as well as we saw. When we saw Spencer's hand basically kind of mangled up and looked like it had been chewed on. And even when it was given to the dogs, it was also like Prince was eating the mangled up fucking hand that he had. So, I just want you to listen to the way that Alice is fucking treated in these scenes. Because, honestly, it is terrible.
0: I am sick and tired of your attitude! You will do your chore now! Lazy brat sits in a room all day Sewing dolls Children Misbehaving in the basement And one in the wall Sewing his Business god knows where You Kids will be the death of me I ask The simple things Just clean up That awful man's blood And what do you do You get it all over your nice clean dress. I worked so hard to make. Now get in that tub and scrub yourself. No wanna get in, huh? Well let me help you. Scrub yourself.
2: Scrub yourself! So
1: it's really fucking intense the fact that she's basically going after her in the beginning and telling her that you're fucking lazy all you do is sit in your room and you fucking play with the dolls what do you want her to do do you want her to go and be the one to help kill the fucking people and stop them from invading the house you don't even want boys to be around her And then you're all worried about, like, you got people under the stairs that just won't fucking stop. And then a guy doing his business, which pretty much to me, like, to me, means that, oh, he's just fucking whacking off everywhere inside the walls. Just skeeting here to the window, to the wall, till the, you know, you know, well, Jiz shoots out his balls, I guess. Just all over the place, like, he's viewing her. She has this, like clandestine view of her daughter like her daughter is pure and that's the way that she needs to be and there's no other way so we need to you know i'm pretty sure that when they say like whatever evil they're fucking doing that some of those dudes downstairs they're fucking eunuchs right like they've chopped off their balls and their dick because they looked at the girl and they're like huh we're gonna be like brother and sister but we're not really like we're somehow supposed to be together, but not really. I have to follow the rules until I get old enough to fuck her. Is that the way that this is going to go? Like, they don't have a good handle on what boys are like. Like, they can control this girl because probably they've raised her from the beginning. And then with the boys, they brought the boys in. That is my understanding of the way everything has gone. And then the fact that she just throws her down the stairs right into the blood. Right When she puts her downstairs, telling her to clean it up. And then she's on her hands and knees, cleaning the blood in the middle of the blood. And she's just like, you gotta do it now, you gotta do it now. And then we go over and we cut over and we see that, you know... Daddy is chopping up Leroy. And this is where I talk about where the gore is. Because we see him cutting the flesh. We see Vings, Rames' body. He's hanging upside down. And he's got his chest split open. And all the pieces of flesh that he's cut off of his body. That he's basically throwing over into all the boys that are under the fucking stairs. And this is what they're eating to fucking survive. Is they're eating whatever trespassers, whatever people get close to the house. Right? It's not even about like just burglars and whatever that may have found out something about what this house has and how much money there is stored in this house. It's also people that got too close and saw things. So if they went up to the door, the solicitor comes through and is like, you know, Hey, how's it going? Hey, is that just a random girl that's dressed up like, a? you know, then she fucking killed or some shit like that. Like it's so ridiculous. Cause all the dolls that she had, it was a like, about 15 to 20 dolls that just don't get dumped onto the bed i'm probably being a little hyperbolic here about the of dolls that were but it is quite a bit of dolls that she's made of people that have died in this house and everybody that she's trying to save the soul the funny thing is is the doll that is caught by prince and the one that roach throws his way is fucking foo Fu. like that's the doll that he gets and that's how they figure out that he's upstairs Unless it was a different type of doll. It's really weird. Like, this is the one that you're going to use. You're not going to use one of the other ones. One of the many ones that, you know, of Souls. Like, you only play with the one that's in the house that's currently running around until they fucking die. It's it's very odd. It's kind of funny at the same time. So, you see him... Fu downstairs having to watch him cut up poor Leroy and feed him and then dump him into the whatever like waste that, that is underneath the house. He's just got like standing water down there that he just dumps him into. And then we go back and that's when we see Mommy Dearest once again fucking putting Alice in a boiling bathtub. You can see all the steam and when she comes out after she's been cleaned, she is red as fuck. But she throws her in there and she complains that now look at all this I did all this nice stuff for you and you managed to get blood all over your fucking dress after I'm the bitch that fucking threw it in there you should have known how to fucking skate over that shit without having to fall down in it and you should have known to raise everything up put it over your head so that you can't see but you can make sure that you can clean this without having to do anything and get any of what I made for you perfectly without any fucking blood like it's completely fucked up and I really like the portrayal of these characters like I said I think that mommy steals the fucking show. Daddy's the weird one, right? He's the one that gets all giddy and has some of the funnier moments in the movie. But it's really a performance here that is, is done before the woman that is so frightening. That she just sees her as this object. And it's just something that she can mold and that she can play with. And that she truly is keeping her youth By having this daughter. And they just can't do anything with the boys because all the boys are fucking evil and don't know how to shut the fuck up like she does. So we see them downstairs and they decide that, you know, the way that we're going to get rid of, uh, you know, poor Fu here is we're going to throw him in with all the fucking metalheads that are underneath the fucking stairs. And he throws him in there and he, like, kind of, like, I think he, like, not ties him up, but chains him up down there just for, because she already chained him up in the room while he made him watch what he did to Leroy. And that's where I think that he definitely eats a piece of Leroy. And when they did the buckshot thing, I think that again, that was to symbolize that it was somebody they killed. And that's what the daddy likes to eat along with the other boys in the house. They just all eat fucking human flesh because what's more metal than fucking human flesh? I guess nothing really is. Uh, and so, when they you see a lot of the boys and the, their hair is just long, right? It looks like if Edward Furlong just let his hair fucking go for Terminator 2, but instead they decided for that movie, we're going to cut it really quick. And for this movie, they just let them all do it. Like, I've seen this hairstyle so much. In fact, one of my old friends, too, from growing up as a child, that was an 80s metalhead and 90s metalhead, Um, he looked like one of the people under the stairs. And really, there is that Dave Mustaine-looking motherfucker in there, too. I'm ready for the dude to start busting out Symphony for Destruction. Like, somebody's just off-screen. They're gonna hand him a fucking guitar. He's gonna get his flying bean And then I'm gonna be like, Oh, well, that's not as good as what Metallica made. You know, but I guess you're okay, Megadeth. And then we're gonna go on from there and he's gonna be pissed off for me. But really, all of them look like they're all wearing like jean leather jackets and jeans and like they should be having like a Guns N' Roses shirt or Metallica or, or, or whatever fucking is whatever the fucking like one probably has a rat shirt and that's the reason that he's down there because nobody liked fucking rat when they came out yeah sure round and round is a pretty good song but honestly they just weren't the metal heads that i really wanted to experience when i was in my youth especially when you come from the la scene and the sunset strip and that guns and roses ruled that fucking area for such a long time but nonetheless I digress. So they're about to start a mosh pit with his body. And they're starting to rage out something better than what Megadeth can put out. And then that's where Roach, he picks up the dead body of fucking Leroy. And scares everybody and does like a ghost thing. Ooh, ooh, I'm not kidding. You think that I'm joking about this. And that I'm just making the sounds because I'm mocking what's going on. No, this is what Roach does. He just lifts them up and woo ooh, because he can't fucking talk. Right? He has no fucking tongue. And again, that scene is kind of disgusting. Especially you see the end of the tongue and it's all like purple and shit. Ugh. Ugh. Still gets me. Uh, So he manages to scare them all. And then goes over and frees Fu. And then takes him to the furnace. Where unfortunately he does die he dies from the shotgun shots that he took to the side. But before he does, he shows him that, hey, Alice is actually above you. If you just climb the furnace, you'll be able to get there and get to her room. And then also shows him that, hey, the coins are real. There is real treasure here. And he gives him a handful of coins. Now, he did find one earlier on Spencer. And he got it, but he didn't realize there was more than what was there. And then that's like his parting gift. To, I guess, Fu before he dies. And poor Roach, he's no longer in the movie. And it's weird at this point because it really starts to feel at this point like the movie is going to be ending. But really, we're going to a really weird end of act number two. We're only really about an hour and something into the movie at this point. I think we're almost at an hour and I think ten minutes by the time we actually leave the whole place. So, he goes upstairs... And he goes basically towards Alice's room. Then we see that Mommy Dearest has now thrown her into the room. And the fact that... You know, she now needs to be punished once again by Daddy, and she's basically not as red as she was before as she came out of the, the uh, bath that happened. But somebody comes at the last minute and goes to save the day from her getting, yet I don't know, the beating, and he does something that this time I kind of approve of.
4: Come in, come in. You answer me. Did you tell him anything? you did, you'll know what I'll do. I killed your skinny friend in the walls. Now, what do you think of that? Oh, I got him good. And the black one, too. Shut the fuck up! What the hell's wrong with him? Oh!
0: exactly
1: ah! so the other funny thing before I get into what what happened there was that fact that Prince was able to actually like follow him upstairs like as soon as he got out of the basement Prince was like I know he's going I know where he is. And then he gets to the right point. Like he's barking at him. And I love that he gets to the room and he's barking. Basically saying, hey, he's in there. Hey, he's in there. Hey, he's in there. And then he opens the door. He's like, shut the fuck up. And then when he turns around and food comes at him, he just punches him right in the dick. Now, normally I would say you don't punch people in the dick. But for this one, and I'll quote Patrick on this, I'll allow it. And it's okay if you're trying to escape a crazy guy that's kind of a cannibal and you're gonna learn in a section is actually getting with his sister, um, then it's okay to punch the guy in the dick if you have to escape. So, again, I'll allow it. And so he goes and they take it he takes poor Alice into the ducks into the, you know, house, trying to get away. Eventually she gets stuck a part of her dress gets stuck on a part of the fucking like grate inside of the damn it's it's stupid this is the part that i don't like cuz it's like uh i can barely i cannot get it unstuck oh no Oh no. Like it's supposed to create tension. But it's the dumbest thing that I've seen in this movie so far. Like and I've seen dumb things. I've seen that dog's face multiple times. And yet again I'm going to see that dog face again. Which could possibly be the dumbest thing in the movie. But no. This is. Because while they're in the duct. And then it just gets caught on the thing. Just fucking tear it. Just both pull. But neither of them are trying to do anything. And it's not until the dad starts stoking a fire in the fucking furnace. Burning up fucking roach in there. And he's not even happy that he's doing it. Well, he does kind of say like burn in hell once again. Which is their favorite fucking line to say when they want to kill somebody. They just tell everybody to burn in fucking hell. You know, it's probably going to be on their fucking Christmas card too. You know... Happy holidays. Love you guys very much. Don't forget to burn in hell. Merry Christmas. You know, and it's a picture of Prince holding on to some dude's dead fucking head or something. Uh, but, you know, it's basically to smoke him out. And as it starts to get warm, that gives them the Popeye fucking strength to tear the fucking dress finally and get out of there. I, I really like the way the scenes are done. And I really like the scenes now inside the the fucking big ass fucking walls and honestly how much space there is like no insulation in between this wall and the other wall that's facing the outside there's nothing it's just and it's enough for a kid that's probably you know i'm pretty fucking wide more ways than fucking one okay i already know this shit But even as a kid, I had broad fucking shoulders. And if I was at his age at that time, I'd best guess that I'd be probably about... mm, Maybe, you know, 24 inches across. Maybe a little less than that. So, they're small enough to fit in there. And somebody like me couldn't fit but a kid like it literally looks like it's in the back of one of Freddy's fucking dreams right they're able to run perfectly straight their elbows and arms don't hit anything but if an adult was in there they'd have to be sideways but they could still chase after them and get into the fucking walls there's more than enough space and sometimes the angles make it look smaller than it actually is but even then these kids are still fucking wide enough they're not big enough to have to go sideways so these walls are fucking huge and it's not to mention that there's another room on the other side of the walls. It's like, we got ten rooms on this fucking side, and then another ten rooms on the other fucking side, and yet it feels small and big at the same fucking time, and I just don't fucking get it. There's just some type of weird, like, temporal distortion that allows them to, like, it's some type of, like, Ennevin's tiny hut, where on the outside it just looks like it's a fucking tent, and you go inside and it's a giant fucking palace. Like, I don't fucking get it, but... Nonetheless, so they're running through, Prince has been once again put into the walls, and he's chasing after them, and they while they're running around, they see some of the other traps that have been set up, and some on there on the outside that were trying to get roached. So like one section where the thing comes into the wall and you know, or like it's like spikes on a fucking roller and it goes in the wall and smashes the wall. So they could have killed the daughter, but I guess they don't fucking care anymore. Or at least Daddy doesn't care anymore. So eventually he does get pinned in a certain location. There is one funny scene. Well, also kind of stupid, too, to be honest with you. Where, like, the dad's, like, roaming around with a shotgun and he's not firing. And then he's like, oh, shit, don't say anything. He's like, I have to sneeze. And they try to stop him from sneezing. And, of course, they do, but then they don't. And he sneezes. And then he shoots, like, three bedrooms fucking down that he shoots the wall. So, eventually, the Prince catches up and starts fighting with fucking food. And so while he's foo fighting, on the other side, we have, and I know I've said foo fighting multiple times, uh, we have daddy starting to stab the walls cause all of a sudden his shotgun has a fucking bayonet on it. Where the fuck did the bayonet come from? He, he doesn't have that for any other point in the movie than this fucking point right here. Why does he have it? Where did it fucking come from? Did he have it, like, is it taped on? Because it looks like it's perfectly put on there. Or it just looks like it maybe is a fucking knife with a fucking, like, piece of rope around it. And he just made it makeshift just so he could poke through the wall at this fucking time. It makes no fucking sense where it fucking came from. But fuck it. We're just gonna go with it. So, he starts stabbing the fucking wall, right? And he's just, uh uh ugh. Like he's fucking, you know, Paul Rubens dying and fucking Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay, and eventually we have, you know, Prince back there foo fighting, and just eventually Foo grabs Prince, slams his heads up against the wall, and then we see Daddy push the knife through the wall, and what does he do? He accidentally kills Prince, but according to him, he believes that he got him.
4: Got
0: him, Hey, hey,
2: wait I got him, I up there. Come on.
4: piece of shit Ah! oh shit you killed
1: Prince (laughs) it's terrible to laugh at a dog dying but that part is so fucking stupid it's the dog face again (laughs) it's fucking dog face (laughs) It just, it has the tongue this time. Especially as it comes out. It like busts through. It looks like it's a fucking puppet again. It's a fucking muppet. Like it's Ralph busting through the fucking wall. And he's trying to ready to play his piano, but oh no, I fucking died. (laughs) And the tongue pops so dead. it's like the puppet belongs on fucking crank anchors or some shit like that it's just really bad like you could have come up with even with the price that you pay was ving rames that expensive that you know and i bet you at this time he wasn't even really known in 91 maybe he's done a couple of movies but he's not like he is now and even now he's just that guy like Oh yeah, Ving Rames. I've seen him in things. And you can't remember what his character's names were, but you know that it's Ving Rames. And sadly, sometimes Samuel Jackson is like that too. Because I'm pretty sure most people don't know, outside of maybe like Mace Windu, know what his character name is. If you can tell me what his character name was without fucking looking it up on IMDB, in Snakes on a Plane, or Deep Blue Sea, please tell me. You know, even the Hitman's bodyguard, if it's just Hitman, it might be that fucking name. But sadly, some of these actors like this, you don't know the names of their fucking characters because you don't need to fucking care about it. Even though I know it's Leroy because, well, it's Leroy. And... Leroy had the meats until he died. Well, I guess he had the meats on his body, right? Because he was making a mighty fine sandwich, and I bet you they sliced it nice and deli thin and piled it on top high and then covered it in that wonderful horsey sauce that they got there. Okay, once again, it's a fucking Arby's commercial. God damn it. Somebody change the fucking the copy that I've got here. These notes, they keep fucking linking me to fucking Arby's. Can somebody do something about this? Jesus Christ. You think once somebody had the meats and they would just leave your notes fucking alone. But nonetheless, it's, (laughs) you have him, like, crying over the dog. He's like the oh shit who gets me every time. And the kids, they manage to escape into the roof. They see that there's an open window and that's the point that, basically, they want to get the fuck out of there. But, Alice, she has some reserves and this is probably the saddest point in the fucking movie. Look.
2: You can see the lights of the ghetto from here. I never thought smog could smell so good. Help! Well, we might have to climb down. There's nothing to hold on to. It's just a straight drop off the roof. Oh, wait a minute. What? The water in the garden. I think it's right under this window. If we take a jump off the edge, we might be able to hit it. I don't know how deep it is. I hear him. <laughs> Come on, we gotta jump. I can't. I'm afraid. You're upstairs, Alice. Alice,
1: what's out it, there? It's not the fact that they're gonna get caught and they're gonna do whatever. It's that last line that she says, where she says, "What's out there?" Like she's been so brave so far, she knows that she needs to get away. But when it comes to actually getting out of the situation, she can't because she doesn't. She's more afraid of what's out there. Than what's happening in the place right now. And that's really fucking sad. And it sucks for her, and that's just what happens with her character. So she, he manages to jump out the window and he climbs down the, you know, he gets to a certain point and he looks back, and then all of a sudden here comes Daddy and he starts firing at him with the shotgun. And then, so he gets off the roof. And he jumps, and he jumps right into the pond that he was playing with at the beginning of the movie. He manages to escape and jump out. Daddy comes out, starts firing his shotgun outside. And Mama says, Bad Daddy, you know you're not supposed to fire your fucking shotgun outdoors. And they think nothing of it. Like, again, the neighborhood says absolutely nothing. Probably either because, again, they're afraid of these people. Or it's just like, huh, that's just a Thursday night over at the Robinsons. But we see Fu, and this is weird because... I would have thought up to this point that that would be the the way that we're going to end the movie, right? He's going to get out of there with her, do whatever. But honestly, now here we're only an hour and ten minutes into the movie, and now we get to learn a little bit more about the characters, you know, and we begin well the antagonists, and we get to begin the third act. If these
4: had come from anybody else, I'd tan your hide and make you take them straight back. You know that? Yes, sir. Well, figuring the rarity of these, you do have enough to pay your rent for a while. Say, to the year 2000.
2: And Mama's operation?
4: And your Mama's operation. Keep hold of these till tomorrow. I'm going to order an ambulance for your Mama. Tomorrow we'll take those to a good coin dealer, and we'll all be smiling. Meanwhile... You be careful. That brother-sister act you messed with are evil, plain and simple.
2: Wait a minute,
4: brother and sister? Brother and sister. Tale of the craziest family you ever heard of. Every generation more insane than the one before it. Started out as a family running a funeral home. Selling cheap coffins for expensive prices. And they got their fingers in the real estate started making a lot of money taking over people's homes the more money they got the greedier they got the greedier they got the crazier they got all sorts of rumors about what's going on in that place never proved it because the police didn't take it serious but believe me when I was a kid none of us ever walked past that house
2: You okay, fool? I was just telling Mama that I did something wrong. Real wrong. And now I gotta do something right. I done tarot cards on you again. They come up real scary. Don't go messing with them people again. Somebody asked you. And maybe that means me.
1: So, again, we're learning about these guys. Now we're learning that they were brother and sister and they call each other mommy and daddy. Now, I know what you could say, and I've been saying that it's been ancestral and all this stuff, and honestly, who knows, okay? I'm gonna give the movie the benefit of the doubt, and let's just say that they're just playing fucking house, and that's all they've really been doing. Even though they sleep in the same bed, she enjoys the leather that he does. They're fucking each other, aren't they? They have to be fucking each other. There's no other way that could be happening in this. I really can't give the movie the benefit of the fucking doubt. Because the way that they act, they act like they're actually like a married couple. But though there is the really weird scenes that you see with fucking, you know, the dad later on when he confronts the daughter. And he starts rubbing his fucking dick at the same time. That's a little bit further ahead, but nonetheless, it's still like, there's. if he's not getting any from his sister, then there's something that's wrong with the relationship that they have. And I'm not saying wrong in a bad way, I'm just saying that it's wrong, you know, in that she's basically putting herself out there and he's not giving her the time of day, and he'd rather fuck the daughter than fuck anybody else. So, if that's the case, then, okay, It's a little bit wrong, but then it would be incest, so it's even wronger. Uh, I don't know which way to go with this movie, but nonetheless, you know... The, this is the grandfather that all of a sudden is being put into. I don't know whose fucking dad he is. If it's the mom's dad or it's the sister's dad. But he's basically like, look, you did something wrong. But if it wasn't you, I'd beat the living shit out of you. But since it's you and you did something right that you was wrong, I'm not going to punish you. But just know that it was wrong. But you'll have enough money to pay your rent and to make sure that everything's good. So it's like, okay... I thought they were going to get evicted the next day... So they're going to find somebody to buy the coins right away... These hot fucking coins... So that you get enough money to pay your rent... And then you foil their plans... And that's going to be it... But he knows that he needs to go back... And he needs to save fucking Alice... So what does he do? He decides that night to go over to the payphone... Like the payphone in the middle of the ghetto... He has to put a fucking quarter in it... To call 911... And please correct me if I'm wrong... But I don't think you would have to pay anything to call 911 even from a payphone. But nonetheless, he pays for the fucking 911 call and has the police go over to their place to check up on poor Alice. 14th percent. Uh, hello, police? Yes, this is the police. I'd like to
2: report a case of child abuse going on. All
1: right, when did this happen?
2: Right now.
5: this is real or what?
0: Focus the
4: place is and clean. And People don't even have kids. Bonters. That's coffee, though. Where's actually food. I'm gonna go upstairs and look
0: around. More coffee?
4: No, thank you, I've had plenty.
0: I'm so sorry you all had to come out at such an hour. for such a silly thing. you know it's better there are a few false calls if we can prevent just one child from being
1: abused Mm -hmm. absolutely right cream and sugar so she's playing like all-american fucking housewife and she's basically here to make sure that everybody knows that everything's perfectly fine the kids are okay well the kid's not even there And they do ask her about that. And she says, oh, the poor kid. Well, I guess we'll get into it in a second. What exactly happened to the poor kid? But upstairs, they're looking around, and we see that Daddy, he's basically hiding all the s like, gear that he has. And he opens up a door on the side of one of the walls, and he's got a giant fucking arsenal of all these fucking weapons in there. So they look around, and then eventually they do get to a kid's room, and that's where they have to make an excuse of the fact that, hey, there's a perfectly good kid's room in here, and you don't have any kids? Nice furniture. You didn't get that stuff at Price Club, that's for sure.
4: We know it's been in the family for years. Yeah. Used to be the house was used for, uh, business. Okay. kidding, Sergeant, I think there's something here you might want to see. What? Take a look. I thought
0: you said you had no kids. Alice left us a long time ago, Sergeant. The Lord saw fit to come and take her. Never touched the room since. We're foolish, I suppose, but in a sense, she still lives here. And always will. My apologies. It's been very painful for you. I'm
4: sorry about this. This should have never happened. You don't need to apologize, Lord. We want to be
0: awful. welcome good night i don't want to see another cop or cookie in my life i don't know which one makes me sicker
4: may they burn in hell
0: forever
1: and ever in hell oh who knew they were such fuck the police people I mean <laughs> they basically are dodging a bullet here and they decide to go upstairs and that's where we find that foo is actually snuck into the house and he's coming out of the chimney downstairs so when he comes out of it he starts walking upstairs he manages to grab a fire poker and he begins to hear noises coming from their room and then we get a little bit of a fake out
0: or I'm Night, Mama. Night, Daddy. Say your prayers like a good boy. Oh, I forgot. Now I lay me down to sleep.
4: Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord Lord
0: my my soul soul to to keep. If if I I should kill before I wake. I pray the Lord my soul to take.
4: I pray the Lord my soul to take.
1: Now basically get into a fight in the hallway. I like the way the whole tape thing is set up. And especially like he doesn't think anything weird of it when they say if I should kill before I wake. Like he just doesn't go, huh? That's weird. That's not the right prayer. And then he's attacked by Leather Daddy, which he, again, hits in the face with the damn leather poker. And then, or the fire poker, not the leather poker. I've got Leather Daddy in my fucking head right now, and it's not a very good thing to see constantly while you're trying to talk about a movie. So, you know, he knocks him down, and then he fucking bashes her in the knee. And after she does that, when Daddy comes after him once more, he breaks the poker over his damn head. Eventually, he does get back into the walls, and he ends up crawling up, and he goes basically to where Alice is, is trapped now in the uh, roof where he left her in the attic, and so he goes in there and he appears behind her and lets her know that he's trying to rescue her.
2: Alice, mm-hmm. are you okay? Oh. Alice, can you get me more of these bricks out? I can't; they've got me stuck. How? I'm tied to a bolt in the chimney. This one? Oh yes. Hi. Hi. Let's see if we can get some more of these brakes up.
1: So it's really funny because this is the scene, it's not necessarily funny, but this is the scene where he comes in and he's basically like touching himself as he's getting ready to go over to her because now she's tied up because he thinks that all of a sudden she's just fucking evil and that's the way that he can do everything with her and we see that like... You know, she's busy hiding, and if he'd even gotten close to her, he would see that she's not tied up anymore. And I don't really know who to say was actually safer. Was it the fact that they would be safer because, you know, if he had found them and thought that she was tied up, could Foo have come out there and then beaten the shit out of him, and then, you know, that would have been it for Daddy? Who knows? But I think Mommy kind of saved him, or the woman kind of saved him instead— And so we see them go downstairs and get away from here and basically goes over to the window because he's able to take the chimney all the way up to the top of the roof and get out there. And then he meets with, you know, Alice and basically saying, hey, I'm here to get you out of here. Let's figure out how to do it. We cut back over and we see that the woman is complaining to Daddy about, you know, the fact that, hey, you know what? Can't believe he did this to me. Make sure that you get him. I'm going to cut off more than his ears. Basically saying that he heard evil, right? And he's like, I'm going to cut off his balls. And he's adamant, too, that they've fucking done it. Like, in the whole time that he was in the house, he made sure that he slept with their daughter. And so she's now a fucking whore. And the woman won't have it. And that's when they start hearing noises come up from the top. And basically they take a shotgun, start firing it up the chimney. And then he happens to take something to the face.
0: How dare you? You are happy home? It came
5: back to get Alice. You should
4: have let me kill her.
0: You were away
4: from Alice. She did it with him. I know it. Not
2: my little girl.
4: She's a whore. <laughs> what is that?
0: Back.
5: Hold it. I think
2: I hear something. And bombs away. No! Oh! Oh! This is one of those smart bricks. You bastard! Come on, you can do it. Just brace yourself on the side.
1: And it's here they start climbing down the fireplace to try to get away, I guess, get to another floor. And it's kind of a weird, like, way to do these things. Like, you drop the brick on the guy's face, and it's like, oh, yeah, we can just escape. Like, are there different floors that have an escape for the flume? Or are they expect to get all the way down into the room, and that's where they can get out? But it doesn't make any sense that they would be able to get out at any other place. But maybe... It is, maybe the furnace links into the different ways, and it's just the way for all the smoke and stuff to fucking escape. So they have a fireplace in the room, but honestly, it all just goes out the same exit, and they can just exit into other areas from the furnace. I guess that's kind of what they're planning on doing. But it's still funny, because the woman, she decides to put herself... Woman, she decides to put her head inside the fireplace as well, and try to go ahead and grab them. And then... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Fu takes his fingers and like shoves them up her nose. And that's one of the ways that gets her to stop holding on to them so that they can escape into one of the places right away. And as they leave, she screams out kaka <laughs> like it's Kaka <"Caca!" laughs> It's so terrible, <laughs> but it's so funny at the same time. And they decide to go after them. And when they get downstairs, both, uh, Alice and Fu decide to split. Like he has a plan to get at the dad, and it's gonna involve the people that live under the stairs. Meanwhile, she's gonna try to hide away from the mom and see if she can find some way to get out of there. Now that they've split up, we see that she's kind of started looking around, and that's when she's basically confronted by mother and kind of fights back for the very first time.
2: Where is that little bastard?
0: Tell me! Tell me! I, I, I we will get him out of our house! He's filthy. He's bad. He's awful!
2: Go to hell!
4: Against me! I told you. was
2: two.
1: Then she can burn in hell.
2: Both of them.
1: So now they can all just fucking burn in hell. And actually, the real reason why they split up, and I can't believe I fucking forgot this when I was talking about this, is not just trying to stop them, but. The dad, he dropped the, the shotgun, and it dropped all the way to the bottom lever where the furnace is. So he was going down the stairs to go get it, right, where all the people are there, and basically kind of turn on him. And when the dad does open up the, the door to go downstairs, or daddy or man or whatever the fuck you want to call him, uh, you know, Sister Humper, and he's unable to get the gun to work and the dad ends up coming down there with him and corners him and is holding the gun to foo's face. And while he's getting ready to kill him and the mom's all excited about getting him, all of a sudden there's a ring at the door and what is it? But his sister and basically she's come right in the nick of time to help him get out of the situation that he's in by basically playing like, you know, the community activist.
2: My name is Ruby Williams, and I represent the association of people who have been unjustly evicted, exploited, and generally fucked over. What? You and your brother are landlords of over 50 buildings in this city, all of which you've allowed to deteriorate into rat-infested hellholes while you guys get rich charging ridiculous rents. Then, you evict anyone the minute they can't pay rent so you can tear down their home and build some more office buildings. Ain't that about right? of your goddamn business! (laughs) Little
4: beggar, kiss your ass goodbye, boy. I just want to finish saying our piece, ma'am.
2: Not only are you bad landlords, but ten times worse. You stole the Tulum from our community for your own sick
0: needs. There's no community here. All I see are a couple of hey, new- Ruby, right here. Is that right? Busted your ass, bitch. Yeah.
2: What are you gonna do? Shoot us all?
1: You do. It. No! And so that's when Alice busts through the ceiling and then slams the woman's face right into the ground. It's absolutely crazy how everything is playing out in the rest of this movie. So, I mean, downstairs... It seems like every time that the man has a chance to kill Fool, something fucking happens. Either he tries to do something cute, like when he tries to put him in the room with all the other people that are under the stairs and tries to get the mosh pit going, and it doesn't really get going because they're bad metal heads and are afraid of it, like a demon thing that would come out of the sewer... Uh, to that he just is too slippery for them or takes a brick to the fucking face. Like, how Fu gets away from some of these situations is seriously just like a African Americanized version of Home Alone, right? And like a stereotypical version of that too. So you have it that Oh, I'm just going to drop a brick on his face. Oh, I'm going to hit him with a paint can to the head. Oh, I'm going to hit him with a fire poker. Like, it's done well, but it's very cheesy at the same time. That it's like, okay, well, that's kind of what happened with the whole situation. So, it's just, it's odd that he's able to get away every single time. Like, he should just fucking shoot him but instead of shooting him, he just waits until the possible cops are fucking gone because he doesn't want to create any noise. But even the guy says, the grandfather, when he's pretending to be the cop, we heard gunfire in the house. We're the police. So people outside can obviously hear the whole thing. So what is it? How do the people in this neighborhood not know what the fuck is going on if the people that just randomly show up can hear the fucking gunfire blazing from inside the fucking house. It's a fucking dead giveaway. You have a little white girl running into a black guy's arms, or in this case, actually jumping down from the ceiling and beating the shit out of her mom being trapped inside this house. And it's just like, you guys can hear all this shit that something is fucking wrong. And it takes the rest of the community to finally show up because the, little boy this 13 year old boy has finally done something about it when he found out about what is going on here that's what's so fucking ridiculous right it's just part of these things just are so dumb they're just dumb but nonetheless she does kind of save the day they do stop him from killing Poor Fu downstairs and Fu does decide to go hide inside where all the metal heads are and he basically talks to one he's like look they fucked up they left an escape route for you guys and they don't know that it's basically open and if you help me you guys can escape you know and you stop them you guys can escape and you can get all the women that are out in the real world you can feel the air you can feel everything and the women and then he's like oh yeah I like women. I need to get outside. I need to become... Like, why would you release the cannibals that are down there? Like, they need to be, like, reformed, but instead you're just gonna say, like, hey, get the fuck out of here and just fucking do it that way.
2: The door to the outside cellar got left open. There you can get outside. To the sun. To the birds. To the women. You wanna give me something? (laughs) <laughs> Burglar alarm. No problem. I'll study with the best. I can use these wires to bridge.
1: Okay. So you know what studying in the, with the best means? Means just pulling the wires from the fucking wall. That's all he did. He just pulled them out and he's like, "I can use these wires." <laughs> okay it's fucking done this is the worst fucking security system ever and the thing is is that it was done you can see like there's dynamite up there so if somebody tried to open it up it would blow up and it would kill the people and so he has a way i guess to disarm it so that way he can go inside of there and get the money that he fucking needs or i guess both of them get the money he's more worried seems about the money she wants more about the women so it's weird scarface between the two of them because I guess first they got the money, then she got the girl, and now what are they doing? They're fucking each other. That's, I guess, where it went. So it's a weird incest Scarface. So we have them. He's he's figuring out how to, I guess, hotwire the thing to get in there. And he eventually does open the doors, and you see all... All the money and all the gold coins and everything that they had in there that they've taken from the community is just all stored inside the safe that's basically being guarded by a bunch of cannibalistic metalheads. Again, pretty goddamn metal. But we have the the whole thing with Alice and we see Fu's sister and basically she's like, we need to figure out how, how everything is, where Fu is, make sure that he's safe, and then they notice... That the woman is gone, and th- that starts a whole thing with her and her mother.
2: Your mama's gone. Oh shit. Where did that crazy effer go? You guys see where she went? Don't let her get away here. Hey, wait me. I don't let her help you. Please open the door!
0: System remote override. All doors locked.
2: You know I wouldn't let you get away that easy. See you, and I see you, dearie.
1: So it's it's kind of an odd little scene that we've got here, and what we've set up, right? The fact that all of a sudden she's gone and there is a quite a bit of tension as they're looking around it's like oh shit where did she really go and then you find out that she's actually still inside the house and that she's managed to lock everything down and the way that the, the angles are and the fact that when you see him flipping the things and it's like that robotic voice comes over that the remote access has been deactivated and then she comes over the you know the PA it's real pretty well done i'm not saying it's really 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 good But it's done well enough to where it's like, okay, like I like what's being set up here. But again, we're kind of more going through a, you know, like I said, like almost like a Home Alone type situation towards the end of the movie versus the different sections that we had where Fu was trying to escape and we saw him being like quiet and we didn't know the things were coming until he was actually found out. Then we got a little more out of it, right? So. Here, we're still not sure what's going on with Fu because he's completely disappeared from the scene, but we see that Alice now is having to fight off the woman now because she's chasing around after Alice with her knife. And it's an okay scene. It's kind of silly, to be honest, where she's like, you know, I see you. And she's like, I see you. <laughs> and here's my fucking knife. I'm coming after you. Like, I sound like i a fucking ICP rapper or some shit like that. But nonetheless, she's coming after her with the goddamn knife. And eventually she gets to the stairs. And what happens? All the people from under the stairs have now started to revolt and they start busting out and they start going after her and stopping her. And eventually Alice turns everything around on her and stabs her with the knife and, said and the woman is just completely shocked like how could you do this to your mom and she's like you're not my mother like she finally sticks up for herself and she finally realizes that everything that's been done to her is not because that she just accepts that that's what parents do but you know it did take Fu coming into the situation to tell her that hey this is Not your mom. They're actually brother and sister. They kidnapped you at a young age. And you may not have any idea who your fucking parents are. And that's really fucking sad. But at least you need to start fucking sticking up for yourself. And get the fuck out of the situation. To which she actually agrees that she needs to do. So here she fights back. Kills what would have been the woman that raised her. And has the help of all the people under the stairs all the young boys that they've tried to kidnap and try to assimilate in the same way and probably turn into another one of them if that's what the family's basically been doing like they don't have kids they just create another versions of them getting even more crazier and crazier then it just doesn't work with her because she's able to get in contact. With the outside world, with Fu being the only person that's actually made it outside and can escape. So, now that she's got her there, she's stabbed her... The woman decides, well, you know what? I'm gonna come after you instead... Pulls out the knife and tries to go and attack her. And it's just like, how stupid do you think you have to be? Because the people under the stairs are right there behind you and are surrounding you. And so she tries to go and attack Alice. And What do you think is going to happen? They're all going to go after you and they're all going to try to kill you. Which is what they fucking do. They go and they fucking like just straight up murder her and they even eat pieces of her and like tear at her throat and end up throwing her down the stairs and into the basement so that daddy can see. He sees that mommy is now dead and he decides to go ahead and take it out on everybody downstairs and just starts fucking blasting like he's Danny fucking DeVito. And he just goes through, starts blasting a bunch of the people under the stairs. He's going after... Foo because he realizes that Foo is going after his money and that's where we see there's the last stand between Foo and the poor man and let's see who wins out I know what you're doing you're counting that money
4: you let it roll through your fingers I've done it myself a thousand times and I'll do it again. But you won't!
2: Hey. You shoot me and you die too, man. better believe it don't be crazy now no dynamite back there to blow you sky high not the best place to store it in my opinion but there it was just put the gun down put the gun down i don't want to kill you but i will because i don't like you much anyway I'm tired of fucking around, so either put the gun down now, or kiss your ass goodbye, boy.
1: Okay, first, how much time did he have to set up the whole candle thing? Like, that seems like it's really fucking elaborate. And he managed to put them perfectly, and there's enough time for the candles to be going on, and the wax to melt, to drop the fucking coins... To fucking fool the man. It doesn't make any sense. There is way too little time for him to do that. I get it. We haven't really seen him since he discovered the whole vault situation. But at the same time, everything is supposed to be happening kind of concurrently, right? So we're all running at about the same speed. But nonetheless, he has all this time to set up that fucking candle trick. And for the candle to be burning at such a bright heat that it's melted enough wax that it's constantly fucking falling down. It makes no fucking sense. But it makes for a good scene. And finally he's able to trick the man for all the things that he's done because he's constantly been tricked throughout the whole movie i guess symbolizing that he's no longer the fool and now he's the man because he figured out which way to go and now the man who was the man is now the boy so he's the fool so i guess now he's the foo fighting the foo i don't fucking know if the allegory is right or the analogy is right but nonetheless he does try to shoot at him so he blows the whole fucking place up Well, he doesn't really blow the whole fucking place up. He at least blows up the little area enough... For the man to fly through the wall like three times in two explosions. I think it's just two walls he flies through. But it's still fucking ridiculous at the same time that he's flying through so many fucking walls. So he busts through the one wall, busts through the other. The last thing we see of the man is that he is now inside of the like sewage thing where all the bodies is. He's hanging on and with his last breath he drops in the fucking water. And that's the last we see of him. We see all the money shoot out of the house, so all the dollar bills are flying everywhere. The community is really excited because they just hit the fucking jackpot, even though there was a giant fucking explosion underground, and everybody's getting the money. We see the cannibal teenagers now, they've all busted out of the house, they're all running wild, they're staring at the different women's out there, and they're so excited that they've seen all of that, and now they're actually on the outside and they can go wreck havoc and eat whoever the fuck they want, and I really think that this is the way that Deathgasm really fucking started, was the fact that they blew up the house and released all these undead metalheads everywhere, but I guess they had to make their way to New Zealand first, so everything's great the first thing that she does Alice does as to everything is done is run to a little black boy's arms and of course we get a cheesy little ending but I fucking love the way that the movie ends and then we get the credits rolling as we see the you know the teenagers teenage cannibals now running loose within the city
2: all right all right Cool. you okay? I feel like a million dollars.
5: To make this illegitimate, but your definition of legit and illegitimate is confusing. Now the redhead wanna say To make things clearer, it's in about a year or two. What you do is take a look up in the mirror, and what you see is the image of hate that you shed upon the now in my opinion to need someone to beach The whole world is acting like a giant I will beach I asked my man Victor what he used to do My funny said he to shoot the double before the age crime and abortion all kinds of my distortion This is very important but that's a little caution of what you can do That's a clue and it's true Yo don't want to brand the sweater and make your life better
1: All right, and that is the people under the stairs, and it's really funny because honestly. A lot of this, as we were going through, it reminds me of the story that happened a couple of years ago where there were those girls that were underneath the basement that all of a sudden found out they managed to break their way out and they ran to the guy. Um, and uh, there's that lovely little remix song of what happened with it that, it is, even though the whole thing was tragic, it makes me fucking laugh every time. But I really all of a sudden started thinking about that as I was watching this movie. I'm like, wow, there's a lot of similarities between the two and it's really weird that that they're there. So, the movie itself, though, I feel still holds up. There's a lot of really ridiculous things, and especially as we get into the third act, uh, the third act just doesn't hold as well as the rest of it does. So I really wish that we had just stayed within the house and like maybe that he'd quote unquote gotten away, but he didn't go and tell everybody he didn't go and do all these things and show off the gold and then bring the whole community there to help stop the whole situation. Like if you had just come back into the house and then was working within the stuff within the, the walls and eventually got her out and saved her that way, I feel like it would have been a little bit tighter in terms of the way that it was done. It's still a fun movie, don't get me wrong. I still really enjoy this, even with a lot of the little flaws that are there. So, it's it's something that you have a lot of really good... I mean, the, the actress that portrays Alice is okay. Like, she has her moments, but she kind of plays it the way that she needs to, a little aloof, and I really get heartbroken in that scene where she finally does kind of crack, and she's like, what's out there? Like, everything outside is worse than what's actually what I'm dealing with in here, because at least in here, I have supposedly parents that love me and I have a house and I have all this other stuff and I had my friend that was in the walls but I don't have any more because daddy killed him. So it's just kind of weird but I really love the actor that played Fu in this movie. Because even though maybe he's not the best in the world, like, it's perfect for this movie. Like, he matches toe-for-toe toe with the bigger actors in the movies, especially when he's with Ving Rhames, who I feel is kind of, you know, he became the bigger actor out of everybody here, at least to me. Um, You know, it's possible that everybody else is better known than the AR, but I still know a lot besides being in the Arby's commercial. He's been in a bunch of films that I really love from the Oceans movie, not the Oceans movie, sorry, the Mission Impossible movies, do something silly like Prana Double D, like three double D, right? Where it's just kind of like a fun role to see him doing something that he's not really taking super serious. And it's funny because even in the back of my mind, I always confuse him with Michael Clark Duncan because I was thinking of the Slam and Salmon and it's not the Slam and Salmon that he's in. That's Michael Clark Duncan, uh, which is, you know, just kind of weird because they both like kind of emerged at the same time. They both have a similar similar stature. Uh it just stinks cuz Michael Clark Duncan's no longer with us. But Ving Rhames still has been in some of the uh, my favorite movies, you know, that have been out there. So, uh it's still interesting to see where everybody kind of lined up. It's a pretty slow-paced movie in all honesty when we get in between the first and second acts. It seems like the first act ends really crazily and quick. Where it's over within the first 20 or so minutes. And then when we get into the second act about him hiding in the house, meeting Alice and learning about the people under the stairs, it's a lot slower than it needs to be. And it really feels like you're going to get the end of it. And then you're like, oh shit, there's still another 37 minutes left after he's escaped the house? What the fuck? What are they going to do? That's my only problem is just that the pacing of the movie is weird in a way that it shouldn't end after this third act. I feel like it needs to end with them both leaving the house or... Even if you're going to do the community thing, you know, his sister knew about it and she ended up going to the house and she did something because, oh my God, he went and I need to find a way to get him back. And then you could have done the whole community weird bullshit thing that they do. That makes it cheesier than it needs to be. I feel like the, the tension in the scenes that you see where he's running through the walls, especially when he's being chased by Prince, I feel like those are really great scenes and you kind of go back. But the true lasting power of this movie is that you know again i my wife doesn't watch a whole lot of these movies with me i really wish that she would in fact i'm still trying to convince her to be on an episode with me but we'll see if she'll actually do it um but it's it's a thing that when you watch a movie like this and she actually watched sat and watched the entire movie with me while i was doing it the way that i was doing it And it was actually something entertaining to, like, make jokes about it with her and hear her side of the things. And we both had the clicking in that fucking news story at the same fucking time where I said something. Like, I was starting to say it and she said it too. It's great. So, as far as... You know, if I have to view it as a horror movie, maybe it's not the best in the world. But if I have to view it in the way that I view the way I watch movies on this podcast, it gets the rating that I'm going to give it because it's still so entertaining. And I felt like it ended up being a lot better than even I remembered it being and that I remembered enjoying it when I first saw it so many years ago. And I really haven't seen it in for at least... I would say almost 10 years and I still had a great time watching the movie. So for the gore, I'm, I originally gave it a three out of five, but I think I'm going to give it a two out of five because it's really not gory at all. It has the scene with the tongue. Like I said, all the gore are just scenes and, and makeup shots, right? Okay, here's Ving Rhames' corpse, and it's opened up. You don't see him open up. You see him with blood on his face when he's eating a piece of the body, but you don't see him, like, ripping it off. Like, it's really off-screen. And then you do see Ving Rhames get shot and a little bit of the blood packets that happen, but it's not really anything terrible. Like I, like I said, I think that you could show this to somebody that's in their early or late pre-teens early teens if you want them to experience a horror movie that isn't gory but that has something that they can connect to right especially within foo uh so i'm gonna give the gore a two out of five the crap factor i'm actually I originally gave it a two out of five i'm gonna give it a three out of five because there are some things that are just way off board how the hell does he do the fucking candle thing the dog and the how shitty the fucking like, puppet is for the fucking dog. How crazy it needs to be just to be crazy, I feel at times. Especially with everything that goes on with the man. Like, why does he need to wear the gimp suit? They never really fucking explain that. But that's his favorite thing to go hunting in when he goes hunting after roach and stuff like that. So I, I don't really necessarily get that. And does it necessarily need to be in the movie? I don't know. Um It just seems like it's thrown in there to be fucking wild as shit. And then... Uh, for fun factor, I'm giving it a 4 out of 5. I think the movie is really great. I think the Fu character is really great. I think the first act and the third act are a lot of fun to watch. Especially in the second act, when it kind of gets going, it's great. There's a couple little things. And I do really like the acting of woman, Fu, and even extent the Jim Carreyness of the man like there's times where i straight up i'm like yeah that could be like on an living color sketch and for some reason i'm watching a lot of in living color off of youtube so i'm like i have jim carrey's older stuff on the fucking brain and that's all i saw when i was watching this this little section of the movie so it's it's still a lot of fun like it held my interest all the way through i was smiling the whole way through and laughing and doing all this stuff so if i have to rate it on like those you know if you're saying like it's it's just fun in general, if you throw your brain out the window, it's a lot of fun and it still holds up today. So overall, I'm gonna give this four out of five, Dave Mustaines. Um, I really enjoyed this movie more than I thought I was good. In- going to, and that's why I gave it a much higher rating, I think, than maybe I should have. If I'm going to rate it this straight as a Wes Craven horror movie, I'm probably going to give it like a two and a half out of five, maybe a three. But for my entertainment value and how much fun I had watching it, the fact that it kept my wife engaged the entire time that we watched it, for like the two and a half hours that we were watching this movie while I took my notes, it, it really reaches that you know, four out of five range because it's so entertaining. And I think that even though it the ending's a little bit less than I want, and it's a little less desired, and there's again, like I said, some really crappy things that go on it, it's still a lot of fun to watch. So if you haven't had the chance to watch it, Sadly, it was taken off of Shutter right before I watched it. I think at the end of July, it got taken off. So you, you have to rent it right now. Or if you have the A&E app, you could watch it off of A&E. But it has commercials, and if you can sit through that. And I just really needed something that could get the audio off. So I ended up renting it off of Amazon. But for 4 bucks, it's still fucking worth it. So um with all that being said, what are we going to do? I decided that for the next movie that we're going to do... Um, I'm going to keep it over in the years of the 90s and something closer to 91 with a movie directed by Toby Hooper off of a Stephen King short story starring uh, Robert England once again. He's coming back to the podcast. We're going to take a look at The Mangler. There's a little
4: bit of me in that machine and a little bit of it. There was an accident today. The worst one I've ever seen. Have you considered
5: the possibility that the machine might be haunted? That machine killed your daughter. We all have to make
1: sacrifices human sacrifices. <laughs> demon is a kind of electricity. Sometimes
5: it gets out of control. People get hurt. Three modern masters of horror have just created the ultimate machine for terror.
1: There is a lot of fucking yelling at the end of that fucking trailer, isn't there? Uh, If I remember correctly, this was a movie they were really trying to do maybe into like a series of movies, make a brand new type of like horror, you know, trilogy or something out of some of the characters, make it bigger than it actually was, and then it turned out that it wasn't very good. So it's a movie that I haven't seen in a long time, and it reminds me a lot of Graveyard Shift, which possibly, if I and I can't remember this correctly unless I looked it up, that maybe they both are sharing a similarity to a certain Stephen King short story. But if you haven't seen Graveyard Shift in a long time, that's worth a watch to watch. Um, and this one, but that one deals with the giant rat instead of the mangler in a laundry machine where there's more stuff. So uh, that is available on uh, most streaming services. you got to rent it. Uh, I think... It was available on Voodoo for free, but I have to check it out. Uh, I went to Decider and it said it was and then Voodoo didn't have it. Uh, but it is available to stream out there if you can find it. So if you want to watch The Mangler and then come back, let's go ahead and talk about it uh, on the next episode. Now, I want to go through a couple of things real fast. Uh, the first one I want to say is that... Uh, The episode following this one, there is not going to be a bonus episode. Dave wanted me to make sure that everybody that listened to this knows it's not that Dave is stopping doing the episodes. Uh, There's actually a couple things that are going on. We're One, we're taking a break, but not really taking a break because we've got to record some of the Halloween episodes uh, still that we have not recorded yet so that we have everything ready for the Halloween time so we have all four episodes. So instead of us putting out an episode... For that, we're going to spend some time, record one during the week, and both kind of take a break from other stuff in the podcast. A little more, you know, extra work for next week. But it should be a lot of fun uh, to get that one recorded and to get the whole uh, Rob Zombie Ween stuff done. And uh, with everything the way that it's going with this year, I want to make sure that that actually happens and all those episodes get done and get released in the time that they need to get released in. Uh, The other thing is uh, that... I want to wish a very happy fourth anniversary as of today that this is being recorded, uh, beyond the void horror podcast who I've really come to enjoy listening to. Uh, and it's one of those ones, like I have the certain podcasts that get released on certain days and there is usually my Monday podcast and it's the one of the ones that I wait for to, to see what comes down. And I really enjoy listening to the episodes that they put out. Um, and so, I want to wish those guys a very happy fourth anniversary. Uh, that is today. And so, and I know Christina listens to this a little more than Alex does. So make sure that you tell Alex <laughs> that I said a happy anniversary to you guys uh, over the podcast. But uh, it, I have a lot of fun. If you guys haven't checked out their podcast, please do so. It's worth your time. They, it's very entertaining. It's really, I like the way that both of them view movies. Uh, I like the way that Alex and I kind of look at everything very similar. Uh, I'm a little bit different in terms of what it is, but when it's a movie that I don't really know, and he loves movies, he calls them S Bigs or so bad they're good, um, that, you know, it's. That movie, that type of movie, we both have like a liking for, and probably give it a little bit more of a chance than maybe some other people would. But I also like the way that Christina does her stuff because she's just kind of getting into everything and doing this movie review. But I like her angle of just being like, this is the way I feel. And this is just the way that it is. And not trying to, I don't want to say make excuses for stuff, but not trying to basically say, well, you know, if she doesn't like something, she just doesn't like it. So it's very entertaining. They're both great at doing the podcast together. And I think that they both mesh really, really well. So if you haven't checked it out, please make sure you do so. It also helps that they're, you know, a couple. So (laughs) they should mesh really, really well. Um, but, I think that you guys would have a lot of fun if you haven't listened to that podcast yet. Uh, as always, don't forget to check out the slightly irregular podcasting network uh, also with the beyond the void there's a bunch of there's an episode that uh, I'm on about Mexican horror. Um, you can check out uh, the one that Isaac Thorne is on that's very good that is which I wish they would do they haven't done it in a while, and I know it takes Alex a lot of work. Um, he did one. Uh, it was Cadillac Killer... Oh, God. Are you guys going to kill me if I can't remember the name of it correctly. Um, but I, I want to say it's Cadillac Killers. But basically, they make a horror movie from scratch. They They reach into a goblet... Uh, and they pull out a title, and then they make the horror movie based upon the title. That's a very entertaining episode. If you haven't listened to it, please do. There's a bunch of those as well. They're going through the Amityville horror movies uh, right now, and <laughs> some of those are a doozy. I really also enjoyed. If you like the Damien uh, those series of movies, uh, I would say go check all of those out that they did when they talked about that series. Um, and if you want to hear more about the howling and how much it hurts Alex, go check out their howling episodes, the old episodes, uh, that they had before Christina stepped in and started doing the podcast with Alex, uh, during this quarantine season that we're all in. It's been five months. Can you believe that already? Jesus Christ. So, uh... Like I said, the last thing is that don't forget to check out the SIP network, all the brothers that are on the slightly irregular podcasting network. You got uh, Faye Five from Fans, you got Dead Hand Radio, the Angry Dad podcast, as well as his newer podcast, So I Married a Bigfoot. He also has Your Dad's Action Movies, which isn't a part of the network, but I'm going to mention it here because it's just another podcast that Ben is doing, which is crazy. Paranormal Pativity uh back in time podcast where you can actually check out i was on their last episode uh that was on batman forever so if you haven't listened to it yet go over there and check it out it was a lot of fun um and i'm planning on having those guys back probably either towards the end of the year or maybe towards the beginning of next year i promise that they're going to be on from starship troopers and we're gonna have to do a sci-fi month so i can fit that in uh and then you know of course phantom dark dave where he's got his new podcast which is the the classic podcast. Um, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. But he's looking at classic movies with this girl. Uh, and then of course the podcast from Another World. you got got Fr- Evan with From the Wastes. And you can check out It Be Like That podcast that I do with Paranormal Pat. And lastly of course the Terrible Terror podcast that you're listening right now. Which you can find out on all your favorite social Out there, Twitter, T underscore, T underscore podcast, Facebook.com slash Terrible Terror Podcast, Instagram, Terrible Terror Podcast, and, of course, YouTube, Terrible Terror Podcast, which I'm going to have a video review up of the uh, Creepshow series. That's going to be coming up soon once I get the video fully edited. So that hopefully is going to be after this is released. And with that, I say thank you. Don't forget to watch the Mangler Take care of yourselves and each other. I'm talking with Charles Ramsey. He's a neighbor. Uh, t- walk me through again what happened this afternoon. I knew
5: something was wrong When a little pretty white girl ran into a black
1: man's arms
5: They had gave away my neighbor got big testicles because we see this dude every day. We eat ribs with this dude, but we didn't have a clue that that girl was in that house. She said, Please help me get out. They give away, then give sure. away, then give away, then give away, away, give away, give away, give away, they give away, they give away. My neighbor got Lord big testicles because we see this dude every day. Eat ribs with this dude. But we didn't have the clue that that girl was in that house. She said, Please help me get out. So I opened the door. And we can't get in that way. The body can't pick through the door. Only your hand. So we kicked kick, kick the bottom. And she comes out and she says, Get some old girls up in that house. Call 911. And they called him and McDonald's. I knew something was wrong when a little pretty white girl ran into a black man's arms. They gave giving away give away my neighbor got big testicles cause we see this dude every day we eat ribs with this dude but we didn't have the glue that that girl put in that house she said please help me get out They give away They give away my neighbor got big testicles cause we see this dude every day we eat ribs with this dude but we didn't have the glue that that girl put in that house. She said, please help me get out. They give away. 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 away, give away. away, give away. They give away. They give away. My neighbor got big testicles because we see this dude every day. We eat ribs with this dude. But we didn't have the clue that that girl put in that house. She said, please help me get out. So I open the door, and we can't get in that way. The body can't fit through the door, only your hand. So we kick, kick, kick the bottom. And she comes out, and she says, it's some old girls up in that house. Call 911, and they called him and McDonald's. I knew something was wrong when a little pretty white girl ran into a black man's arms. They give away. give it away. My neighbor got big testicles, cause we see this dude every day. Every day. We eat ribs with this dude. But we didn't have a clue that that girl was in that house. She
0: said please help me get it out. Back it away. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?